Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Rodeo Time, the podcast. Got a very special guest today, Mr. Steve Pace. Burr, 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 burr. Of, aren't you from, like, rural? Rural America. Golly, that's smaller than maybe he didn't Winnebago. Want, maybe oh, yeah, that's way smaller. Yeah. Well, he doesn't live there full time. True. You don't care if people know that's where you're from. No, no. Yeah. And no. it's rural spelled R-U-L-E, yep. not R-U-R-A-L. Um, but it is very R U R A. It is that. Yes, it is. <laughs> like you may not know that you drive through it. Yeah. Much like this town. Don't blink. Yeah. We're gonna tell a story. He's gonna tell his story of what it was like to become a Marine reconnaissance sniper. Right. Or would it just yeah. be a Marine recon, and then your job is a sniper? Well, Marine recon was my job, and then sniper was just associated with it. So it was okay. another. It was another. One I of guess the uh, additional tools jobs. in your belt. Correct. There you go. Yeah, that'll work. But you could do it all. Could do it all. Yeah, we're gonna tell that story here about his time in Afghanistan, and then we're gonna hear from my security guard, <laughs> Mr. Willie Wardle. <laughs> I don't want to call myself security guard. He's got a few know. stories, battle right. stories. Security sticks together, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got you, my man. <laughs> we're at the head of the table for a reason. Game, you know game what I recognizes mean? game. That's right. Game Max. recognizes game. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, quick thanks to our sponsors, Rock and Roll Denim, American Hat, Can-Am, Total Feeds, and Excalibur Containers. Now on to the podcast. Pow, pow. You forgot about uh, Willie Sticky. Sticky Rodeo Rodeo Rodeo. Oh, I'm sorry. Willie Sticky Rodeo Rosin. Mm. So it sticks. It we, sticks. We, we talk about Steve potentially getting on a bull. So um, when we'll that time some. comes, you're mm. going to need Willie Sticky Rodeo Rosin. Well, Rodeo Tongue Rosin. twister. <laughs> I can't even say it right. It's <laughs> sold out right now, though. So Yeah, we're sold out, but it's com- more is coming soon. Mm. S- stickers and caps can be available on dalebrisby.com. You bet. It's <laughs> a matter of time. Roll the footage. Rodeo time. Got to get her on down the road. I did one of these with uh, uh, Chase Outlaw and Derek Kobaba, PBR bull riders. Okay. And never hit record. So we had it on the camera uh, microphones, but like the audio sucked. Oh, I would have been so mad. Most people didn't notice because... uh, because my audio sucks most of the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we didn't actually get that many more negative reviews than normal. <laughs> but um, maybe that's the next intern, a sound guy. Yeah, right now it's going to be a warehouse guy. Yeah, warehouse that guy. wants to learn how to do sound. That too, yeah. Moonlight as a sound guy for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so as I was making fun of mine and comparing it to Joe Rogan's, you said that you've been around his podcast? Yeah, yeah, I've done. Uh, yeah, I've 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 been around quite a few podcasts. Um, you know, he's pretty. Um, I've actually tried to, through work, try to get on with his podcast just through clients and stuff like that. So I've been kind of um, around. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of his operation and everything like that, which is an incredible operation. I mean, it is, you know, top of the top. So what, what were you doing? Uh, yeah. So most of the time it's just, you know, obviously the podcast game has evolved, you know, exponentially over the past couple of years. Um, and just through work that I do now, like some clients just trying to, I mean, that's obviously a big publicity kind of thing. You know, you get on Joe Rogan's podcast. I mean, you can promote any brand, you know, even if it's your own brand, if a business brand, uh, you know, whether you're, you know, 
an actor or politician or whatever you you know you are you know you go on joe rogan's podcast i mean that's going to reach the reach for that is, so you were you were is incredible being a you were running security correct for yeah. someone on the podcast well correct or, or trying to get on the podcast you know just through you know some uh you know, just kind of working through things to try because it's hard to get on his podcast. I mean, not yeah. anybody can just go and be like, yeah, I want to go on Joe Rogan's yeah, yeah, podcast. Yeah. You know, it's very selective, right? Um, you know, so it, it's it's just an if so in that regards, I've been you know kind of kind of around it. So that's why I had him on the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So have you ever met him? Not personally. Oh, okay. No. Cool. Gotcha. No. No. Not uh. So right now, like you're just kind of. Explain your job to me. Yeah, so um, right now I work for a private security company um, that's headquartered out of Los Angeles. Um, what I primarily do right now is a lot of executive protection stuff. So you could kind of dumb it down into being a bodyguard essentially for um, the private sector. Um, obviously, everybody kind of knows the public sector as being the Secret Service. Um, you know, you see those guys all over the place, all over the news kind of thing. And that's that's the public side of everything, yeah. um, you know, the government side. So what I do is I'm on the private side of it. So um, it's a little bit different, a lot of the same type of work um, mm -hmm. per se, but it's just different on how it's, it's, it's formatted really. Um, gotcha. Yeah, so, you know, we have clients, you know, I work for the company, we have about probably 70 to 80-ish clients. Um, that range everything from, you know, the Hollywood sector, political sector, media, business, um, kind of, you know, you guess it, we have it kind of thing. Um, and so I basically travel with clients, um, all over the world, mostly in, in the country and, um, basically they're bodyguards. Um, yeah. and so, um, that's kind of it in a nutshell if you will um and uh and that's kind of that's kind of it how long have you been doing that um almost five years now so uh have you ever been in a situation where you've had to actually protect someone i have yeah wow. um yeah yeah it's um it's interesting right because a lot of people you get a lot of people that consider it kind of not really um you know say scary work or, or tough work or whatever you know they think about you know they all see hollywood on tv you know and they're like oh there's just some big guy standing at the door or kind of something that's really mundane something that's really like that that doesn't take any effort or um you know experience or training or anything like that um but you kind of dive down into parts of it and it, it is very you know it is very serious um and uh there's moments there that you know that 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 do require a lot of effort and a lot of work and and there has been definitely moments where where i've had to uh you know kind of as they say the hair stands out stands on the back of your neck you know yeah. kind of thing not a lot you know i won't i won't fluff it you know not right. not not every day i mean a lot of it is you know pretty simple but there has been there has been a few moments you know um, yeah so i have a security guard here yeah at at um on the premises at um the Delaware house and it's, it's Mr. <laughs> Willie Wardle <laughs> right yeah. there. He uh he's actually got a hat. Really? Yeah. And, and training too. And yeah. training. <laughs> yeah. So 
Have you had any <laughs> of those moments, Willie? I have, but they were actually from the people I was protecting. It wasn't from outside okay. strangers. Okay. You shouldn't have ran up on me like that, man. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you want to talk about any of those moments? Or yeah, is it... the one we were trying to build a rope swing, and I was trying to unload the ladder, and this thing blindsided me. It was actually Dale with a hot shot, and he was trying to get me. He did get me, actually. Yeah. So that, that one got me pretty good, and then just recently I was just chilling on my porch, minding my business, and Leroy came out of his car and started talking talking that ish and i just had to go and confront him because jordan was there and she's crippled she couldn't do anything kevin kevin doesn't talk at all so he was sitting there so i just was like all right this is my duty like <laughs> and i was joking around like i came at him but like if it was for real he would have line driven me and i would have been knocked out because we uh that punch was quick yeah so <laughs> the dale warehouse is in newcastle texas and we've got three containers you know that all house interns and then we've got an airbnb out front so He's the, we've been, we've been wanting to get him a golf cart. <laughs> mm, yes. Yeah. Golf cart or the Segways. Three-wheeler, though. Oh, a Segway. That's oh, done. man. <laughs> we need a Segway with some mud tires. I don't trust those things. Just because we don't have, you know, concrete or asphalt. It's all gravel roads. But let's think of one of them old-school three-wheeler uh, golf carts. You turn too fast. Oh, it's over. Yes, yes, a three-wheeler. Have you ever been on a golf cart as a secure? Like, do you have, like, a shirt? That has like your name on it, <laughs> <laughs> security, like, like Officer Pace, or Got, like as a uniform. Yes. No. Okay. No. Yeah. Gotcha. No. The 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 one of the great aspects of um, of us is that we're plain clothes. Um, yeah. So there's nothing that you know says you know I don't walk around you know the security patch or anything like that. <laughs> what you about know, the kind of the whole get up? There are earpieces. We do okay. wear earpieces a lot. Yeah. Um, do, do they have yeah. the little like cord the that coil. comes down? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's you, the, you're kind of official. Yeah, I mean, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a name tag that's like taped and Sharpie has your name on it? <laughs> no, no, no. Not usually. No, no, no. But yeah, no, for sure. Um, you know, it is it is official. It, it is yeah. very official. You know, I know it's, it's, it's hard because sometimes, you know, when every time somebody asks me what you do, you know, you're like, I work in the private security world. Well, the first thing they go to, right, is is the malls or you know storage it, units, huh? storage yeah. units, or any of them, right? <laughs> that you just you have that persona of people in the security world that you're just like, you know, it is tough to say that, you know, because people will immediately just just default well, to that. You're I could just, like, just see you like I work in the private security, and then like you run into a Willie or somebody who does watch overs. <laughs> You know, storage units, and they say, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. What was that movie with Zach Neck? Is Mastermind, where he was like a bank driver, dude. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah it was like, like uh, people just imagine that, and like, halfway true it couldn't story. be further than the truth mm. in your case. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have, there, have you ever guarded anybody you wanted to get like a selfie or an autograph from? You know, honestly, no. Um, you know, honestly, for me, I, I've never been one to really kind of idolize people, you know, because it's just not it's never really been my thing you know um at least not to that level right you know you talk about your mother and your father and kind of those those small circle people you know that you do idolize and you do look up to but you know just because you make millions doing a movie or you know you're on fox news or seeing like just because netflix something like that (laughs) you know does it has never correlated with me to like really idolize you just you know and i do idolize the fact that you work hard you kind of have made a name for yourself kind of your success for sure um but not just the person you know yeah 
Um, so fortunately for me, I, I've never had that issue. So was I'm assuming you've never had as much of a touch and go moment being in security as you were like in the military. Um, yeah, no. So like if, if whatever your most touch and go moment in the military was a 10, what was it in security? Yeah. Well, so the, the, the one, probably the, the worst moment I've had doing security, you could probably say it was, you could probably say it was up maybe eight ish. Um, dang. Yeah. So this, and I can, I, I can talk a little bit about it, but, um, we were in Mexico um, is where it okay, is kind of... Okay, so you're already at a seven. We're already there, right? <laughs> I mean, you already kind of go... You're already at a seven. Yeah, yeah, you already go there. And, and well, I was going into Mexico with a team, and there was there was quite a few of us. There was probably, any, I think there was seven to 12 of us or so all together. Um, you know, and for us, there's a lot of logistics involved with, with traveling international um, because we can't operate internationally like we can domestically. Um, so that being said, right, you're talking about gear, guns, you know, anything like that, you know, your, your legal authority to do a lot of things, all that stuff goes out the window. So you have to rely on, you know, local assistance, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in our case, it was Mexican, you know, um, security, you know, federalis, something like that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> it's hard, I, you know, something like that. But anyway, so we you know, we have to rely on them for so much, you know, we rely on them for, you know, for, for weapons, for gear, for, you know, being able to be like the legal, you know, do all the legal groundwork there. And so anyways, we were going in there, <coughs> excuse me. And, um, we were doing some operations there that weren't per se going on vacation. Um, we were going there for the purpose for a certain reason to do things in that country. Um, for the betterment of, let's say, you know, certain civilians there. Um, it was a very unique uh, detail, um, but we went there and um, the operation that was going on required us to go into a lot of different parts um, of Mexico that I would say that you kind of, you know, you hear on the news, right? Mm. You hear, you know, those just really rough, tough places that, you know, you people can tell you about them, but you never really understand them until you're like there in, in the, you know, actually there. So we were going there and doing some operations. Well, we had to rely so much on the federales, local police, you know, just just anybody with a legal authority that we could, used to help us and um so it would turn out to be the fact that we would rely on them to do something hey we need this say street blocked for this reason we need to be able to come in and out of here you know freely because um this is how we all stay safe right and there's issues where you have to, you know, money talks in, in countries like that, right? Like you gotta, you gotta pay off certain, you know, people and 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 cops, and it, I mean, it's you know, it, it's anything goes down Dang. there, you know. Um, so you do that, and the issue with that is, is there's always the fear, you know, of of 
another authority, whether it be another cartel, whether it be, you know, anybody like that that would come in and be like, hey, no, I'll why pay are you, you more? I'll pay you more, right? You know, I'll pay you more or else, right? And then or else is, you know, you guys can pick and choose what that is, you know? And so that fear and intimidation sets in and, and you know, then it's just sides against sides, you know, on a money you know, war or intimidation war, whatever the case may be. And, um, it gets pretty hairy, you know, it, it, uh, people start turning their backs on you. People kind of, you know, start throwing you out to the wolves, kind of people start talking. Um, and so during that whole operation, it was a constant battle, you know, between, I would say our side and their side, right? What we were doing and what they, you know, what locals were doing, um, to keep the peace somewhat, right? You know, because there's such a heavy influence of cartels and, you know, kind of the law of the land down there that you don't disturb and you don't go into these people's neighborhoods or these people's houses or this part of the country, you know. There's just so many different, you know, kind of things down there that you don't really understand. And um, so anyway, so that operation was a constant kind of struggle in that regards. you know, there's moments where we had to um, kind of pull out, stop, um, readjust, um, cut things short. Um, and it, it was luckily, you know, nothing, you know, serious, serious came about it um, because, you know, fortunately we were just good at what, what we were doing at the time. Um, and I was with good, good dudes. Um, so in that regard, um, that was probably one of the worst um times for me you know and we were there consistently for a good amount of time was it like uh i feel like you know just listening to you you talk about seven or eight twelve guys it's like feels like it's kind of sicario like when they are driving and they cross because they 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 had to be assisted by i mean obviously it's not a true story but i'm just saying like that setting that's what i visualize driving through that city yeah and to be honest that's that's really kind of what it was you know i mean we we traveled in you know up armor up armored suburbans right um you know you see three or four you know the black suburbans automatic guns that you know kind of super heavy you know we traveled extremely heavy and we had a lot of people with us a lot of personnel with us and you know it was you know line up kind of this that and the other there's a lot of tactics into it you know and and it was similar to like that i know um you know i kind of thought the same thing when i hit the ground there because i had actually gone in advance kind of um what most people would think kind of i don't know if y'all heard this you know when they were making the narcos uh, like location scouts right yeah that go into certain areas first and kind of scout the location see where we can film this that and the other um well that was actually my job that trip and i had gone gone there a couple of days early and i was i was scouting everything right i was we call it what we call in the security world is advance so advance work so it's it's people that go prior to whoever's you know traveling um you know whether a client or um anybody like that and we go and advance everything so we go and scout hospitals you know locations streets buildings um police you do that alone? stations and stuff i do yeah yeah um most of it can be done alone um you know um uh, it's obviously a lot handier and nicer when you have more than one person but one person can definitely do the job yeah. um and so i went there and i did that you know and i kind of you know i wasn't 
security you know i was just a i was just a guy vacationing you know to an extent so so it was it was intense you know and and it was it was how long were you in mexico uh we were there i think almost a week ish yeah maybe um yeah from the moment i got there till we left yeah it was probably a week i think it was dang so it was quite a bit of time you know like uh talking like running a a company i feel like or any business you know one of the things i have to deal with is people and um you know when somebody doesn't get along with the other person or this person has you know this personality trait that that fits the group or doesn't for whatever reason and you know you kind of have this this clash of minds and attitudes and but you all got to come together to accomplish a certain goal and I've been thinking a lot lately over the last couple of months like you know thinking about like military whenever you said it's seven eight ten of y'all going over there it's like I'm thinking you know as a leader of those guys you try to keep morale and you try to keep you know the group cohesive and you work as a team and and uh, you all want to get along but I imagine that you know, there were probably some people in there that were really good at their jobs, but they might also be an asshole or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't, you, you know that you could probably speak to that better, but it's like kind of like in the movies, you know, there's like, there's always like in the movies, military, there's always like this one big grunt, like stout, you know, like just the cliche. What you trying to say? Cliche, like, <laughs> you know, 22 inch <laughs> bicep guy. Who is just like the hammer? I used but to. Whether he is or isn't a, you know, a kind fellow, you know, whatever, or or just like the Stone rocks. the one guy off to the side that's like super quiet, or but they're all good at their job, and that's yeah. the purpose. Thank yeah, you. absolutely. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting you say that because that is you know that is one of the things about the military that is so really unique, honestly. Because um, most people think right when you think military to an extent especially some of the upper level um classifications in the military um and some of the the operating forces right you see and you look at guys and you're like you expect them to be the big macho super fit like super good looking you know great posture you know kind of supermen if you will you know and one of the good things that the most of the elite you know forces of the military does is kind of like what you just mentioned was that everybody is so unique and that's what makes the unit as a whole so good right you have your macho men you have your nerds per se right you have your 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 medical guys you have guys that can that are super you know tech savvy or or a weapon savvy or something like that you know and and they combine all that together into one you know little group and that's what makes the whole group just you know as as good as it is so it is a lot of that you know absolutely yeah i imagine that like i can see myself becoming really good friends with someone because we have a lot of similarities or a similar you know maybe the same morals the same upbringing bringing same beliefs and um goals visions or because we went through this really tough thing together, but like we're polar opposites, you know, but we created this bond because we almost died together, you know, like I could see like, 
And to me, I mean, that's what ultimately I feel like that's what you, you get at the, a lot of the end of those movies. Movies are all I have, you know, because obviously I didn't go over there. But like you see those guys like the meathead mixed with like the nerd type. By the end of it, they're best friends, not necessarily because they're so similar, but because they went through this thing together. Yeah. I guess a week in Mexico may not be long <laughs> enough. No, it, it, it definitely is. I mean, I don't think you can necessarily categorize it as a as a time thing. Now, yes, there is the more amount of time you spend with somebody, whether it's in a good situation, hard situation, bad situation, like there will be a different relationship that comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's one of those things, you know, I know sometimes people float around, you know, like misery loves company kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And to be honest, through my experience, like the harder something is or the more painful it is or the, the you know, whatever that case may be, if you're with somebody during those times, you know, it creates a, a deeper level of, you know, of relationship between that person and or so people. So even, even boot 100%. camp maybe. Yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, boot camp was definitely, um, boot camp obviously for me was, was, was kind of the first initial kind of span of time that was hard that I developed a lot of the relationships, you know. Um, what, what year is this? When did you get started? Let's let's just tell that story. <clears throat> yeah, so I went into the military in 2008, August of 2008. So I graduated high school that year um, in May, and then I had I finished out um, some football all-star games, you know, that summer and kind of wanted to, you know, a month or two there summer. And then I went in August of 2008 was, was when I went to boot camp. Um, so, started in August, graduated in October um, of 2008, three months. Um, I loved it and hated it at the same time. Yeah. You know, it was a great, it, it was a great moment of time. You know, for me, I, I, I'd really found that niche. I yeah. think, you know, for me, um, I was super successful all through boot camp. I graduated number one um, in my entire. Uh, recruit class. I think it was 530-ish recruits or so. So, um, And in the Marine Corps, we call that as a company honorman. So um, graduated, you know, like I said, top of there, you know, the awards or graduation ceremony and everything, you know, was was remarkable. It was one of those things where I, like I said, I had really found like something. Like I, I was, I was dead set. I was super motivated. You know, I was I think I remember after I graduated, you know, I was just texting people and I was just like, you know, I'm a United States Marine now, you know, it's a special time. And, um, so yeah, so did three months of boot camp, and, and it's funny, just quick story that I, I, I worked with a guy recently that was in my boot camp class back in 2008. I only knew his face. I didn't remember his name. And I remember he, he recognized me. We worked in the same company now and he was like, yeah, you know, are you, you know, Stephen Pace, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah. I was like, how do I know you? And he was like, oh, we went to boot camp. Like, he was under me. Like, I was, um, you know, in, in our platoon there. And it was like immediately, like, he remembered all the stories, remembered this, remembered that. Dang. I didn't remember hardly any of it, but he knew it. You know, Dang. and like you said, back to your point of just, like, some of those things that you go through hard times, like, people never right. leaves them generally. Right. Yeah. You know, special. So what happened after that? Um, yeah, so after boot camp, um, uh, I, uh, 
went through since I graduated number one in my class that person or that marine at that time is eligible to change um, to pick any job in the Marine Corps that they want um, luckily for me I went into uh, Marine Corps boot camp with a, a recon contract uh, which I had got previously before joining just because um, I was in what we call the debt program, which is like the delayed entry program. So basically, I'd already signed on the dotted line to go into the military when I was 17, but I was only a junior in, in high school, and so I had to wait my senior year. Um, so that whole year, I was just training. You know, obviously, I was in great shape. I was playing sports, this kind of thing. And so I was allowed to have, you know, or I was gifted that recon contract before going in. And so after boot camp I graduated I knew that's what I wanted to do you know I mean I walked in the recruiter's office you know before and I saw all the pictures of the you know on the yeah. walls of everybody jumping out of planes and diving and shooting and snipers and all that stuff and I was like I want you know I want that and uh luckily I worked hard enough and I got it so um after boot camp there's a series of of follow-on training that uh that you go to um you know infantry training and and um which is what i went through because i had a combat um uh mos at the time i know i was listening to uh, your podcast with ross you know yeah. he's kind of explaining some of it you know and he went the you know he went the the other side of the house which is you know the school of infantry and then I forget what it's called but um um there's two little avenues there you go yeah. one for you know the combat guys and then one guys for kind of the you know, the other parts, you know, of the Marine Corps, all the support and stuff like that that are super, like, you know, super necessary. And, and, and obviously the Marine Corps can't operate, you know, in, any military can't operate without the whole collective, you right. know. Um, so I went to infantry training. I believe that was a little over two months maybe, something like that, you know. And that's where you learn a lot of your basic stuff, right? That's when you learn how to shoot a gun well, you know, you learn – all the different weapon systems, all the different tactics. You learn kind of more of the meat and potatoes, yeah. you know, of the Marine Corps. You know, boot camp is kind of all the customs and courtesies and learning how just to, you know, to to become a Marine, essentially, you know. So then you go to infantry, school of infantry, and you learn all the meat and potatoes. After that, I went to what we call BRC, which is a basic reconnaissance course, which is the um, – which is the course that you go to if you successfully pass that you become a recon marine and then you go kind of through more pipeline training and stuff like that but that's your initial test right that's your if you pretty pass, tough huh probably yeah at the time that was the toughest thing i'd ever done in my life um yeah without a doubt um for a variety of reasons um one i know if you ever talk to a recon marine the the one thing they'll talk to you about is is the water right is swimming um, yeah which is such a unique kind of thing the only two that you know i say the only two the 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 two kind of branches that really hit on on water and swimming a lot right especially in in their indoctrination training is the seals and recon um just because they're such an amphibious based right organization right um and so the amphibious part of recon school was by far and away the hardest thing I'd ever done Dang. Um, in my life. Um, the running and the shooting and the, and the, you know, humping a lot of weight that, you know, that stuff, it was hard, but it was something I knew I could do. Right. You know, 
the water stuff wasn't. Um, I remember there was times I'd call home and I just, I, 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 I think my mom could remember this to this day, you know, and I'd call home and I thought, I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. You know, I don't know if I can make it. Um, it was tough, Dang. you know. Um, I think now, uh, which is the same as it was when I was in, uh, the, in order to, um, even get a slot into school into recon school there's a screener there's an indoc screener that you go through before and if you that's pass or fail if you if you fail it you don't even get you know a shot to go through the three-month course um and it's basically our initial our marine corps pfd so it's like the three mile run uh max what you got to do how fast um so for the indoc i think it is I think it's 22 minutes is the, okay. is the latest yeah. uh, or is the slowest you can do it. Gotcha. Um, which at that time shouldn't, you know, if you're right. 18, yeah, 19, yeah. like you should be cruising that. Right, know? right, right. Out of yeah. boot camp, I was running like an 18-minute mile yeah. or 18-minute three-mile kind right. of thing. So everybody generally cruises through that. So that, you know, and then you do like the max set of push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups, um, you know, kind of thing. And that's just a benchmark test, right? You know, I think the minimum, you know, there's minimums on that, but that's generally not too bad. Um, and then you go into the water, right? And then you, then that's when it starts getting, um, getting pretty tough. So, um, in the water for recon, everything you do, right? People think of swimming as, you know, a lot of our recreational swimming stuff that we do, you know, you have your swimsuit on, you know, or, and it's nice and it's relaxed and it's, and it's such an, you know, swimming is easy, right? You know, when you, um, in that regard, but with recon, you do everything in a combat mindset, right? So you do everything in full fatigues Dang. as we call it, like Dang. full, full, you know, camis, top, bottom, you know, and sometimes boots, right? Um, which is super tough, which I had never really done before. Um, you know, I'd never done that before. Uh, and so it was a huge shock to me because I was like swimming. I was like, yeah, cool. You know, I can, you know, I can breaststroke, you know, do, you know, I can yeah. swim. I can swim to here in the end of the pool and I'll be, I'm not going to drown. Yeah. You Let me know? get some wake shorts on. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Board shorts. Board shorts, you know what yeah. I mean? So it was, I, I, you know, in that regard, I was like, yeah, I can do it. But then they start putting on that all, you know, all your gear and whatever, you know, your fatigue. And then it just changes the game because then you're just, I mean, you're almost, it's tough. It's yeah. really tough. Um, and so the end dock with that is, I believe it's still, you know, it's like a 500 meter swim in like less than 15 minutes or something like that. Um, you have to do a rifle retrieval. Um, you have to do a 25. 500 meter swim? Yes. Yeah, 500 meter swim, and like I think it's less than 15 minutes. I think if I, yeah, if I'm remembering it's right, it's like a third of a mile. Yeah, is it not? Well, yeah, mile 1600 meters. So yeah. Dang. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that. I used to swim at the wreck in college. <laughs> like just, I'm I'm not saying like I'm an expert swimmer, but I would swim as a workout. Yeah. Only because it was so difficult for me, I could get a really good workout in a short amount of time. And I would go like, I want to say 50 meters, maybe, but I would almost die at 48, <laughs> you know? So then I would, anyway, so I'm imagining me, I'm imagining like a drill instructor pulling me out at the 100 meter mark and cussing me, but I can't hear him because I'm 
borderline dead. Anyway, <laughs> continue. Right, yeah. Because most pools, I think, most recreational pools are maybe 25 minutes, maybe 50, I think. You yeah. know, one way. Dang, right. right. I think dollars. something like this that. This one at yeah. A&M was like 50 it one it was way. Like an Olympic. Yeah. Was yeah, it? it yeah. Was, it's a pretty big, you know, okay, it's yeah. an A&M pool, so it's right. pretty big. And but some of those might be, I think, 100 or so. Like, this ain't no junior college big, pool, you know I mean? okay? <laughs> so I might as well be a Marine. You know what I'm saying? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, you do that. And keep in mind, each one of these, you know, are all back to back to back to back to back. You know, it's not like you're doing a run one day, the next day you're doing your pull-ups, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is, is in a chronological order. Boom, yeah. boom, boom. Dang. You start. And it's all just repetitive. Boom, 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 boom. Um, and so, yeah, so you do 500-meter swim, um, what we call a 25-meter underwater crossover. So that's where you go underwater and you swim, right, 25 meters underwater um, kind of thing. And like I said, still in all your same, you know, full cam fatigues kind of thing. So um, you do that. You do the rifle retrieval, which is where they drop a rifle at the bottom of the pool, and then you go down and pick it up. Um, and then I'm not sure, but I think there is a um, – there's like you have to carry that rifle, a, a designated link to the pool. Um, you know, you go up, you, you, you retrieve, and then you obviously have to just use your legs and, um, and, uh, and swim with that rifle. And then you have to do a 30-minute water tread. Um, wow. And uh, obviously all those things, like I said, all those things are kind of pass-fail. Um, and that's basically our end dock to, like I said, I, I, I think I've hit all of them. I might've missed one or two of them or gotten times wrong or something like that. But, um, that's kind of your end dock basically said, all right, you know, you're good to, you're good to go or you're, you can't, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, so yeah, the, the waters without a doubt was the hardest thing for me, Yeah, you know, going in. So you get out and you're you're a reconnaissance marine and then what yeah so i um luckily passed everything uh in recon school so then once you graduate you become you claim the title recon marine um once you do that at the at that time um see i'd gone into an eight and then once by the time i'd kind of graduate that it was it was 2009 i forget exactly what what month it was but at the time since afghanistan was obviously was still a thing back then you know and we were still heavily involved you know in that conflict um as soon as i got done there i went to what we call my unit so it's what you know once you pass your training you get kind of stationed um with your unit there and i got stationed there at first recon battalion there in california so um luckily all my training was there in california so i didn't have to go far but I got stationed there and then as soon as i got there we were boom we were we were training right yeah. we were training to go to afghanistan um yeah. that involves you know a lot of different characteristics i you know went through a couple of different schools you know further on training and then also just training with the guys um that uh that was there at my unit um when I'd actually got there, my first recon was still in Iraq at the time. So um, they were still deployed. So there was a few of us there that we were kind of, you know, we were kind of, we were waiting on all those guys to kind of come back, you know, and kind of, kind of in that. And so, but when they got back, we, like I said, we hit the ground running, you know, and it was just training, 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 training from there on out, you know. Dang. Yeah. What year 
how long was it before you went to Afghanistan? So my first deployment was in the summer of 2010. So I think it was, so it was June. Wow. Yeah. So I, well, it was about a year ish because I had yeah. got to my unit kind of mid 2009. Yeah. And uh, and they had got back. My unit gotten back from Iraq kind of around that time, I think, as well. And so yeah, we had probably a year ish, maybe a little less, um, to train, um, kind of thing. And so yeah, so it was my first deployment to Afghanistan. I think it was June of 2010. So you're training with guys that like were in firefights yesterday. Yeah, yeah, to an extent yeah. for sure. Because that mean, was, I mean, you heard Ross's podcast. Yeah. That was pretty interesting to me. It's like when they rolled out of those Amtraks, that was everybody's first experience. Right. Because we had been in peacetime for so long. Yeah. But right now, if it's 2009 that you're getting training, like we'd been in either Iraq or Afghanistan for eight years. Mm hmm. Or, well, seven and a half or so yeah yeah nobody had, they had we hadn't been to afghanistan yet like yeah. i said but they they were in iraq but yes no my the guys that come back they definitely had combat experience Dang. you know um 100 percent, you know and it was it was it was it was super beneficial for us you know because at that moment you know and it's kind of the it's a big thing in the military is 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 kind of that before you ever get a deployment under your belt, right? Before you ever go into a combat zone or, or, or do something like that's kind of your benchmark that before then, you know, you're super green and, and, and you're not experienced to an extent that the combat veterans are. So that's, that's your benchmark that separates you, mm -hmm. you know, from anybody that hasn't gone and it's a big thing in the military for sure you can you know? do a lot of training but there's still a pretty big gap yes it's a yeah. huge gap i mean right. you can train all you want and training is phenomenal and training is so necessary but nothing will ever compare to actually you know being there and doing it you know so it was it was a big thing for us because until that time you know i know me personally like you think that you know, you know a lot of stuff and you've been through hard tra you know, hard training and you're physically fit and you're motivated and you're like, man, I can do anything. Right. But then you get a big dose of reality when people, you know, that, that you meet or operate with or train with have been there and done that, you yeah. know, it's, it's, it's an eye opener, you know, and yeah. you realize the difference between and how necessary that is compared to not being there, you know? So it was good for us to have those, have those guys. Was uh, I'm curious your thoughts when you heard Ross's story about the first time you get shot at. <laughs> Did you duck? Yeah. Well, to be honest, the first time I that had happened to me, I really didn't know what was happening. Um, if I'm being honest, so it caught uh, you. It caught you guys off guard. It didn't catch us off guard. I that was just the first time I had ever heard or experienced something like that. You know, and I think I can remember like I have such an awful memory in some of these things and. But I could, I, I think I remember, you know, you turning to my buddy and being like, is that what I think it is kind of thing? Um, you know, because I remember the first time that, that that had happened to us, we had, we had inserted at night, you know, um, into an area and uh, we were kind of moving throughout the night, right? And at the night, when you move and operate at night, it's relatively 
peaceful, right? Because, um, you know, most people are sleeping. Most people aren't operating at night. At least the enemy wasn't. And so we had, we had, we had done a lot of stuff overnight and, um, it wasn't until that morning, right? When the sun comes up, everybody wakes up, everybody understands kind of what's going on that, you know, our, my first firefight happened, you know? Dang. And, um, yeah, it was chaos for sure. I mean, cause you know, there was a lot of, there was a lot of guys that had been there, um, as far as in combat situations, but there was a lot of us that hadn't, you know? Mm-hmm. So that was a lot of our first time really. How many know, of y'all was, were there around? So, um, in recon, um, we operate in, in small teams. Um, so each a platoon in, in, in recon is consists of like 18, basically, you know, I know in the seals they call them like, you know, team guys or whatever, like there's, there's three teams, right? So there's three teams of six. Um, and we're all, we all have our own, you know, leadership hierarchy, right? Each six man team has, um, uh, you know, like their, their leader, assistant leader, you know, com or, uh, com guys, med guys, kind of whatever, you know, um, navigation guys, you know, so it has its own kind of system in place. Um, and I can't remember exactly who we all went, but there was probably there when we got inserted that night, there was a, I mean, I want to say there's, there's probably anywhere from maybe 20 to 50 of us there. There might've been two platoons, maybe there, maybe even three. Um, so there was quite a bit of us, you know, we had, um, and, uh, so there was, I mean, we were definitely supported to an extent, you know, yeah. having, you know, a lot of support there, but, um, um, yeah, it was, it was how intense. long did that last? Ooh. Um, it's hard to say, uh, you know, my deployments there, our firefights lasted, you know, we got in contact, um, in firefights probably average like three times a day right damn um, yeah it was yeah it was all day every day um it was three times up. a day <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was a constant thing i mean it was every morning every evening and then generally sometime when it wasn't hot during the day um you know the summers over there are brutal you know yeah. absolutely brutal so um you know the, it was how yeah. many total firefights do you think I couldn't even I couldn't even put it Gosh, in. dang. Like it was it was all I mean it was it was all day. Like there was a point where we got to where like we would just sleep through them. Like I could recall a lot of times like in the morning and stuff like if 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 the guys that weren't, you know, weren't on watch or on post as we call it, you know, kind of thing, we just sleep through it cuz yeah. we we got so good at understanding the tactics that they had right whether it was a serious you know engagement or if it was just an engagement of them trying to figure out where we were or how many people we had you know paying attention you know whatever we just got so good at kind of understanding you know the whole uh the whole mindset of it all so so if they're shooting at you it was typically taliban always yeah 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 i i as far as we know, I mean, granted, it could have been other groups, you know what I mean? But as far as we know, it was always, yes, the yeah. Taliban. Dang. Where was this? Um, so our my first deployment, our our major 
area of operations is was called the Upper Sangin River Valley, um, and uh, we just call it Sangin for short. Um, if anybody's spent any time in, Af- in Afghanistan, they they know exactly where that is. It's kind of it's in the northern part. I got of, a vacation planned for yeah. later, so <laughs> yeah, 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 you later can, this year. So yeah, I'm taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> What's well, it's green. It's green. Yeah. It, it's like it's it's interesting because if you Google Maps it, you know it's a it's a strip of green, like area that's surrounded by just barren mountains, like huh. nothing, right? And it's 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 up on the northern part of the Helmand Province, which is where the Marine Corps was, you know, operated in, and um, and that's where that's where we were. Um, yeah. And there's stories about it. I mean, th- there's it's an awful place. I mean, yeah. it, it really is. Um, so that's not that movie on Netflix, is it? Which well, one? It, well, that was Clint Eastwood's son. Yeah. What's that one called? Or it's outpost. in a valley. It's called Outpost. Okay. Yes. So um, the Outpost. I th- that was the Army, if I'm correct. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. remember. I didn't. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were Army. Yeah. I just yeah. started it the other day and I haven't finished it. I don't think I've actually. I didn't finish. I, I guess either. I haven't I seen that. Then. Yeah, maybe I haven't seen that. Um, but there is, um, I think that one's referring to a different area of operations um, for the Army. I'm not too like familiar with all the, you know, the Army and the and the Marine Corps had different areas right. um, of Afghanistan that they were operating. And Army was definitely way, uh, you know, up north, kind of up in the mountains and stuff like that, um, and kind of outside Helmand province a little bit there um so i think it might be different it might be close it's obviously up northern kind of up there getting close to up there but yeah. uh um yeah it's just a bad place yeah where where's kabul in relation to all that uh so cool, that's a great question honestly we i never never even saw kabul okay. ever gotcha. yeah yeah the, we we operated up in Sangin, um, like I said, and a few other parts there. Um, and Helmand, geographically, man, it's it's been, you know, so long. I want to say Kabul is like in the southwestern area of the country. Um, I may be wrong on that, but, you know, it's, you know, the way Afghanistan's kind of shaped, it's kind of, you know, yeah. kind of. You don't necessarily do like a social studies type class on the geog- geography and the the history of the country. I'm sure it's more about like fighting this enemy in the country. Yeah. Uh, well, I used to. I mean, I did. Yeah. We did like. But back you forgot it. Yeah, you got a bad memory. I have you, awful, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's part of it. A lot of it too is that you know a lot of stuff for me. I've kind of, I've kept it in that time frame. You know what I mean? You were able if, if that to just kind of like leave it behind you? Yeah, yeah. kind of compartmentalized it a little bit, you know, kind of, um, you know, like I said, during that time, I mean, I knew everything. We knew everything about anything over there, you know. Yeah. But since then, I mean, I've compartmentalized it to a, to a degree to, right. you know, be like that. You know, that whole time of my life was there. And yeah. now we're. That's kind of how I am with like my third grade year. So I just had a rough girlfriend <laughs> and times were, and, and, and I see old classmates that bring it up and I just don't know what they're talking about. You know, remember redheaded girlfriend. Oh yeah. Tried to, she beat you up. I, I had, and, and, and I wrote letters to her, 
which she brought back to junior high. She left the town, but yeah. then came back in junior high. Read them to the whole class. And read the letters to my class in junior high. It was <laughs> devastating. Yeah. And it was something I had blocked out of my life. So, so you know, comparable to Afghanistan. You and I have a lot of similarities in how we block out some of those unwanted <laughs> memories. <laughs> so you, know, you have similarities with him in your security field, and I do in my memories i don't want in my mind <laughs> what he does is the furthest thing away from what my security experience is okay well anyways um so i maybe it was mitch or somebody at one point told me that you were a sniper i was a sniper yeah so what would yeah. what would you weren't though like in that first firefight no scenario? so i didn't get to go to sniper school until after my first deployment Okay. Um, I'd come back, and it's kind of the way it kind of works for us a little bit is once I kind of I talked about the whole like you're not really a whole lot until you go on that combat deployment, right? And then you get some seniority, you get some leverage, and you know, in the community and stuff like that. So before then, you know, you kind of just got to do what they tell you to do. Yeah, you're kind of a basic guy. You kind of you don't get a lot of the perks that the older guys get. So when I came back from that that first deployment i got to go to sniper school um it was that was obviously one of the the top things on my bucket list you know um as a kid you grow up you know playing right kids now play call of duty kind of whatever you know and everybody kind of this the, the sniper kind of mantra or the, the the community there like it's just one of those really neat unique kind of things yeah. that everybody it just seems like everybody gravitates to everybody's yeah. like man that's just so cool and so yeah fortunately enough i i i got to go to sniper school um sniper school is another three month long um course i did it out there in, in california um i said that up until i went to um recon school was the hardest thing i'd ever done when i got to sniper school that was the new hardest thing wow you know i'd ever done um dang yeah yeah did you have to like practice like a lot of the like crawling 16 miles kind of stuff yeah so that's well that's what made it so hard for me i mean i'd grown up shooting you know i mean right. we grew up you know not far from here and and uh so i'd grown up shooting out in the wilderness kind of you know doing things hunting so like shooting a gun and stuff wasn't too of an issue for me it was hard to understand a lot of the um, a lot of the intangibles that go in with long range shooting, you know, shooting, you know, as they say, some, you know, shooting out to a mile or so, you know, yeah. like those long, that long type, long range shooting, you know, snipe real hardcore, you know, sniper school shooting is, is super tough, you know, but I was confident I could do all that stuff, you yeah. know. Um, it was a lot of the other intangibles that, like you said, what we call, you know, stalking is what we call it. Yeah. Um, which is the obviously the technical term for it, but um, yeah, that was hard. We did a lot of that. Um, that's one of the focal points of um, of sniper school, um, and it's it's super difficult. Like I thought it'd be easy, you know. I thought yeah. I'd just you know kind of throw some vegetation on, kind of go out there, <laughs> and I was like, man, I was like, oh, these trees will cover me, you know, tall grass, whatever. I was like, yeah, I can just snoop around and do the same thing, like you know, Call of Duty stuff, you know, like you like walk around the buildings, you know, you're crouching or something like that. You're like, oh, do you know what? You know, nobody can see me, you know, nobody. Yeah, it's easy, but boy, was I, I mean, I was I was so far from the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I remember one of my first so 
just to set it up, like our stocking is basically designed to where you have kind of a course based. I say a course, you have an area, um, of stocking that's about a, a thousand thousand yards long um the instructors sit at the very end of that on top of one of our big trucks which we call a seven ton and they sit up there and they sit up there with binoculars so um there's generally two of them that sit up there with binoculars and they they're looking back this direction into the whole you know field or whatever wherever you're you're doing your stock at and their whole job is to find you, right? Yeah. Um, and you start at the very end, and what you do is you have to stalk all the way up to within 200 yards of that uh, truck and the instructors with the binoculars. So um, that's kind of – and then once you get within that 200 yards, you're allowed – you take – we have um, – um, you know, you, you take you take shots. They're blanks, right. um, but they just they, you know, they they have the sound and and everything like a real like a real bullet would. And you have two shots, and basically what you do is you you stock up and you basically shoot at that truck. You know, simulating that they were the enemy. And when you do that, they have an opportunity then to find you, right? They, uh, they look, they actually know like kind of where the general area is and they look and if they can't find you, it's changed over here, but they'll hold up, you know, a sign or something, a picture or letters or something to where they know that you're not like hiding underground, taking a shot just out of nowhere, right? Like you have to be able to see them and them not be able to see you kind of thing. So that's the whole premise behind it. And so... Once you take that first shot, they'll throw something up, and you have to identify it. You have, like, a certain amount of time. I forget what it is to identify it, but if you're able to identify it and call it out, and there's, like, instructors kind of out in the field with you, you know, that that you talk to, and they radio up. And if you're able to identify it, you know, they basically um, they tell you to take your second shot, and then the instructor in the field goes within, I think it's within – like it goes within like five yards or so, five or ten yards of where you are. Now the instructor on the binoculars doesn't know exactly where you are, but the guy in the field does. So he'll go there and stand there, and then the instructor with the binoculars has a, a certain amount of time to scan that area to look for you. And if he can find you, right, he'll call it it you know he'll say oh yeah you know he'll tell the instructor in the field you know walk two steps to your left you know two steps to your right wherever he kind of walks him on to where he thinks you are and if he can find you boom you failed right dang, if he dang. Can, yeah if he can see anything if he can see a a sliver of grass that's like broke you know you can see a little shine you know on any of your optic or gun or yourself or you know anything it doesn't matter what it is he can pick it up even if he gets lucky still counts yeah right wow yeah so your first couple like practice stocks are really good because they're not they're they're not pass or fail they give you mm -hmm. a lot of time but i remember my first one i think i i went and i vegged up and i started going and it was like it was no time at all i think i you know i was doing the old crouch you know like trying to like hurry and move up there you know and boom busted 
you know. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they had busted me a few times on, you know, because like I said, I had the complete, you know, yeah. wrong yeah. mindset. Like this oh. is a deer. Like yeah. surely if I can fool a deer who's got better <laughs> senses than a human, maybe I can fool a human. But just yeah. not the case. No, no, yeah. not at all. Like I just, I took it just so elementary almost that it was like this is foolproof you right know? i was like there's just nothing to this and i was i was so far wrong you know yeah. and because and at first because i think they they give you like four or five hours to do it and i was like i don't need that like <laughs> thirty thousand yards yeah i was like man that's that seems like a long time to be out here you right. know and and you know you hear those stories you know where people you know, as they call it, skull dragon is the thing that, they, you know, where you're kind of, it basically just means that you're as flat as humanly possible and you're just kind of inching yourself across the ground, right? And so, like, you hear those stories of, you know, old school snipers and stuff doing stuff like that, you know, in combat situations, you know, and you're like, yeah, that's just, that sounds miserable. Like, you know, like, oh, I'm going to kill the system. Yeah, what if I catch a cramp or, you know, end up. You know, I got to go to the bathroom or something, you know, or, or you know, a spider's on me, you run to a snake, you know, all these different situations, right? And you're like, yeah, that just doesn't seem fun. And so, <laughs> I, so I, just, I literally took it to heart and I tried to cheat it. You know, I was like, they'd say go and I'd like, boom, you know, like take off running or something to a tree and bound to another tree or something, you know. <laughs> I, I was doing it the complete wrong way, yeah, yeah. you know. And, um until I learned, you know, I basically right. just had to be like, yo, like, this is not, this is going to be the death of me if I don't do it. And then you learn and you realize how technical it is. Did you ever have to crawl in actual combat situations? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Dang. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Not, not like I did at, at, at sniper school. Um it was a lot of more stuff kind of using terrain throughout firefights and stuff like that to, you know, yeah. to either better your position or, you know, um, retract your position, something like that, you know. So it wasn't as technical, but it was beneficial to learn that, you know, because otherwise, like I said, I would have probably done the whole, you know, old school Call of Duty thing and just right ran or, <laughs> you know. So you feel like if you would have just been like winging it without all the training – you may not have made it back home. Yeah, unless I would have had somebody really, you know, um, really experienced teaching me, you know, or following them or whatever. Like right you know. then. Yeah. Like on, yeah. Like, no, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. So. Was no, it? Was, was it ever like? So, in your sniper situations in actual combat, was it? Was it more of like a, like this enemy is way far away, and so you're in a situation where you're able to shoot something way far away or is it more like um before you leave the base you know you've, you're going after this particular person um or both yeah it, it can be a mixture of both most of my experience um was like having snipers you know as recon means like we were having snipers like in our teams and stuff allowed us to carry you know our long range guns right it allowed you to carry all the sniper guns that we had um and because everything that we generally engaged with i say everything a lot of things that we generally engaged with were far off you know distances or you know not you know not necessarily 
face as to face face to face right close yeah. combat is kind of what we call it you know house to house y'all weren't kind of clearing stuff. houses as much as like ross's story we were but not to that extent yeah iraq was definitely you know a lot of house to house you know walking you know but we did clear a lot of houses you know there was a lot of you know house stuff that we engaged with but most of our engagements were far you know off targets you know um so having that sniper skill set you know we knew leaving right the base that there that that was that was such a necessity you know for us so did your second tour you've now got sniper training you're able to use that training did it make you look back on your first tour and realize a bunch of opportunities where if you'd have had that training it would have helped you more in the first deployment yeah absolutely i mean um luckily for me on my first deployment my team leader and assistant team leader were both um, snipers themselves gotcha so i had kind of you know kind of our process you know in, in sniper school is, is when you before you become a sniper you you're called a pig which is what we coined as a professionally instructed gunman so it's a it's a guy that learns from another sniper right how to shoot how to employ the weapon you know how to employ some of the tactics and stuff like that and then when you graduate sniper school you become a hog you know which is a hunter of gunmen um and and so yeah and so you kind of graduate to that and you get what we call your hog's tooth which is which is a little you know 762 bullet that they you know the necklace that all snipers wear and if you ever see people wearing those you know you know that they're you know a marine corps sniper um and so on that first deployment i had learned a lot about you know long-range shooting and being a sniper and that was another thing that influenced me wanting to go to sniper school after that first deployment you know and uh and so um yeah to an extent absolutely yeah did you did you ever have to like fight like with your hands uh not necessarily no not not anything that i was that i knew or was like a, almost you're just yeah, like this could go I mean, to yeah not really i mean yeah. we did a lot of the stuff that that we did was was fortunately um you know like i said we did have a lot of you know interaction and in, and in, in close interaction with with locals and taliban and stuff like that but it was never a situation where like i didn't think that like i could handle this situation yeah. it was never a you know really a surprise at least for me personally you know it was never a, you know if we were putting hands on people or doing stuff like that like it was generally speaking like a like a cordial kind of yeah. kind of thing you know it's like you know like police or so it's like you know it was in some situations where it was like you know we'd gone into a house you know we had overpowered whoever was there they gave up you know and they you know it wasn't ever a thing really where it was a somebody gotcha. life or death kind of thing yeah for yeah. me personally that is um was it difficult to delineate who was an enemy and who wasn't well that's the hardest thing there 100 percent the hardest thing because one they don't wear uniforms yeah. right they're you know they wear the same thing everybody else does um you know too just because they carry an ak or someone that doesn't necessarily mean mean anything um uh 
So you could just see somebody walking across the street and they got an AK, yeah. but they're a good guy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it was one of those things at that time, like especially my first first deployment, like like you could see individuals carrying weapons like that, but um, you had to be shot at before you could engage right. them. Um, that's just part of NATO. That was just part of the the TTPs. You that had to we be had, shot at. Had to so be they shot could, at. They could pull and be pointing it at you. Mm-hmm. But they have to. Yes. But they have. They have to be actively engaging you before you can actively engage Dang. them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was. It got to the point. I mean, there was a point where you could watch people. Like you could watch people, a Taliban, in placing IEDs in the ground and know where they were. And we weren't allowed to just engage them, right? We were obviously, you know, made note of that, and and yeah. and we were able to drop a pin on your iPhone. Drop a pin on the iPhone, right? <laughs> Google Maps, send somebody out yeah. there. Whoever. Hey, there's a bomb here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you you share it with somebody and say, hey, why don't you? There's this cool place. Go check it out. Yeah, kind yeah. Of thing. But sending you know, a robot first. Sending yeah. something like that, correct? Robot, whatever have you, and they would go and they could disarm. You know <laughs> that 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 explosive device um so yeah it was there was some handicaps in that you Golly. know so it's tough absolutely yeah Dang. what it what what analogy did ross use he said it was maybe he said something like it's like fighting with your hands todd we were like. well maybe it was more like they have no rules as if they're a ufc uh, fighter yeah but but you're we're, a boxer. But you're a boxer. he yeah. said something like that yeah like you have to use boxing rules but they mm -hmm. can use mm -hmm. like yeah, yeah, it was, it was there's was a lot of that, you know. I mean, and that's just that's just the way it is, you know, and it was it was hard and you had to work around it. Um but it you know, in a grand scope of things, you know, that's what keeps somewhat of, you know, the war essentially not just, you know, genocide to an extent. You know, yeah. it's not just like, you know, I mean, you can think about it here in the states now like if if like say you know somebody invaded America and they saw people just walking around with guns and they just started, you know, right? Yeah. Often people that had guns around here, you know. I mean, it's it's a lawless thing. So you you kind of understand some things 100%. in the grand scope mm -hmm. of things. Hundred percent. Even yeah. no matter how hard it is. It just right, <clears throat> and it, it's it's like when you try to make a rule for all these situations, you know, there's always going to be <clears throat> things. I I would assume there's things that pop up where you and whoever made the rule would agree, hey, this should be an exception, but because they don't have time to talk to the boss, mm. you know, you just have to like watch it play out mm. and then hope that you're on the winning side. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can assume that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I feel like I'm the only one asking questions. You guys got any questions for, y'all been sitting over there just listening? I'm just taking it in. Uh, yeah, <laughs> good stories so you're talking about. You got, yeah. but I'm saying, you got any questions? No, I'm still processing. What are what are Marine Raiders? I've heard, I know they're pretty like they're around during World War II, and then I thought I saw something about them being brought back. Like, yeah. What's the difference between them and recon? Yeah, so the Raiders, like you said, were um, they were old school, yeah, um, kind of old school in conjunction with recon. Okay, um, and then they did away with them. They mm -hmm. Did away with them. I don't know exactly when. I don't, you know exactly for how long, but they didn't come back until. Roughly when I was kind of starting to get out, you know, I think mm -hmm. back in maybe, well, I say that, I think it was maybe around 2010 or so-ish, and they kind of brought them back. They kind of stood them back up. Um, and uh, 
the difference between Raiders and Recon are technically what the Marine Corps has never had a Tier 1 um, operating force, which is Tier 1, which would be like the top dogs, excuse me, which is like SEALs, Delta, right, the 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 super, you know, SEAL Team, oh, SEAL team 6, mm-hmm. uh, and then Delta, right, are the, you know, at that level. And so the Marine Corps has never necessarily had that. Um, Recon has always been tier one like capable special operations capable um and that's always been the marine corps um asset in that um because we have recon and then force recon as well but when they stood the raiders are supposed to be or or implemented to be marine corps you know equivalent of right seal seal team six delta all that and um so it's a relatively new um well, reinvented organization, yeah. um, but they are technically um, now uh, the the like I said the equivalent of right the seals, okay. seal team six and delta up there, and so it's kind of the Marine Corps push and and kind of that we a lot of the guys that I was that I was there with you know they all the. A lot of them kind of transition over there, you know. Mm-hmm. I know, I know if, uh, quite a few buddies over there, and, um, so it's kind of a transition thing. It's kind of a tier, kind of okay. if, if you will, um, kind of deal. But no, they're 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 definitely a, a, an elite organization up That's there too. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they're good dudes, absolutely. So I feel like with people, this is just a quick observation, but like I feel like with what little observing I've had of guys that have the, the few people I've known that have been in combat, it's almost like somebody that Ross is the one I've had the most interaction with and him, like there'd be like stuff happen in our lives, rodeoing or he's at school at work, whatever, after he, you know, got back from Iraq where like if something went wrong, he was always comparing it to, is this life or death? And it was no big deal. And so um, that was always neat. Like Ross just never got worked up about stuff. Mm. Very, very seldom. I don't remember if any time like him just getting like throw something pissed off, you know. I got him there a couple times. (laughs) But but it definitely was not a regular occurrence. You know, like every, you know, he was pretty able. But then again, some people, it's almost like the opposite. You know, they're in those situations and they come back and like any little thing, you know, goes wrong and it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Like what, what do you see as the different, like what is it that makes someone go the route Ross goes rather than like everything's a big deal? Um... Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to what we kind of talked about earlier about just those experiences of those just super, super tough times. You know, I know for me, you know, personally, I can relate with a lot of, you know, what Ross talked about and kind of his outlook on life and kind of how he handles situations. And a lot of it does, you know, come back from the military. And a lot of it is is because of those reasons. And, you know for me personally it it comes down to when you when you've been so close you know um to life and death situations and you've been so um you've been so exposed to 
times in your life where you're feel like, I mean, you couldn't get any lower, right? When, and I say that not as a, you know, not in an emotional state. I say that, right? Like you're in Afghanistan in 120 degree heat, sleeping on the ground, you know, you don't eat, you're not sleeping, you know, these situations where it's just miserable, you know, it's just misery. Um, you compare it to a lot of things in your life now and situations that come up to where you're like, I've had the worst of the worst, you know, yeah. I've been there where it couldn't get any worse, you know, like, is this something that I'm unable to overcome? And the answer, generally speaking, is no. Like, there's never, generally speaking, a situation that you can't overcome. You know, it might hurt. It's going to suck. You know, it might sting. But it, 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 it makes you have a completely different perspective on life that you understand that, you know, it can't get any worse than yeah. what you've had it and you're still here you know and you yeah. and you overcame that so yeah. i think that has a lot to do with it you know like i said that's just for me personally but i feel like that resonates with probably a lot of a lot of military guys that have been in situations like yeah. that you know i listen to I've, I've been thinking about like different military people a lot lately just because so like a month ago i listened <clears throat> to uh, a joe rogan podcast with I still haven't figured out how to pronounce her name, but her first name starts with a Y and her last name is Park. She was from, she lived in, grew up in North Korea and then escaped to China and then escaped China to South Korea and then eventually came over here and now she's like a human rights activist. And anyways, listening to her story, it just makes me like really think about perspective, you know, mm -hmm. and like how interesting, you know, she went from even worse than communism, you know, it was just a straight dictatorship. And so like she lived in that. She didn't know the word. They don't have a, a word I. They don't like because it's all we. They don't have a word for friend. They don't have a word for love in their language, whatever. And so like growing up in that, then coming here and being an American, I, I just feel like it's like the most extreme form of perspective that a person could have. And so, you know, but that's not con like we can't all go live a year in North Korea. Mm. Um, and so I thought, man, I bet there's a lot of military and former military men and women that have been really close to and in situations, third world country type, whatever it is, where war-torn countries, where they get to see firsthand the way those people live, and then they get to experience it because they got to be there, and then they come back over here. Like, I feel like you guys got to see, like, the worst of humanity, mm. and then you come back to the U.S. Yeah, I, was, I mean, without a doubt, 100%. I mean, that is the, you know, the situations that happen over there, like, nobody can ever understand them unless you saw it, you know, with your own two eyes. You know, I had no clue the level of sheer hate in the world until I went there, you know? Yeah. And it does give you a different perspective on life, but I think even more than that, like, for me, it's what happens almost personally for me uh -huh. in situations. Like, 
the harder I go through something in life is what kind of really, um, really grinds, you know, really, really makes me feel that way that anything could be overcome. Like, for instance, some of the training and stuff that, yeah. you know, like there was a time when I was in pre-dive, um, which is a school, a prerequisite to go to dive school. Another, obviously, heavily watered, you know, um, um, school. And there were situations there. That was the first time I'd ever seen a grown man cry. Dang. Like, just tear up from training. Wow. Um, and certain situations that you go through there, like, for instance, there's the in-dock to be able to go to dive um, is a series of water evolutions that uh, um, are what we call drown proofing. So it basically teaches it teaches you in a way to make you realize that you can that you can't be drowned basically. Um, and so it's a series of what happens is you're standing on the side of the pool. And they tie your hands and feet up. They tie your hands behind your back. Wow. And your feet, and so your hands and feet are both bound. Um, and like I said, your hands are behind your back, your feet are just straight down, and and you're tied. And so what happens then is you go, you they, they basically, you basically jump in the pool. The pool's a 15-foot deep pool. Um, yeah, everything, everything that we train is 15-foot deep. Um, wow. yeah. And, uh, 15 and then I think it's 50 meters or long. Um, but they push you in and you, you basically have to do, um, a series of evolutions. First one is what we call bobbing. So you're in the water and you have to go up and down bottom of the pool to the top, um, for five minutes. And Dang. <clears throat> yeah. And so, wow. <clears throat> And uh, you uh, go up and down five minutes. Um, you're obviously your hands and feet are still bound, and you're basically just understanding how to control breathing up and down. Yeah. Um, you let your air out to sink, push off the bottom. You come up. You have you know a half a second to grab air, and before you're sinking back down. And then after those five minutes are completed, they throw in. Um, they throw in your a mask, right? Your goggles and your mask, and you have to. They drop to the bottom. You have to go down, and pick it up with your teeth, and you have to bob for that five more times. And then when that's complete, you have to swim the length of the pool and back with your hands and feet tied. Um, Whoa! Yeah. Fifty meters. Yeah, all the way down, and all the way back. Um, and you kind of end up looking like a a dolphin per se. I mean, you're kind of, it's, it's a lot of, you know, you, it's weird. You know, I, yeah. I was, I mean, I was, it's really weird, you know, um, but it works. Yeah. And so, yeah, you swim back then you come back down and you do like five flips underwater forward and five flips back. And then, you know, if you can complete that, you're eligible, you're, you're allowed to go to dive school. So that mixed with, um, Another evolution that we call tank treads, which is where you put all your tank, you know, your, <clears throat> you put your air, your air tanks on and all your gear, weight belt, everything like that. And you just tread, you're just treading water. Um, 
are all situations that you have to pass before you're able to go. And that was the first time I'd ever seen a grown man cry. Was that was, you know, in evolutions like that. So, you know, just going through situations like that for me is what makes me really understand that, like, if it's not that level, you know, if it's not yeah. that hard, like, man, I can do it. You're, comp- you you're know? probably going to be all right. I think I'll be all right. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, but I would have cried. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I cried. cried. I, I remember the first time I, I drowned. I remember that the first time I just, whoop, and it was, it was during those bobs. Cause I was, I was struggling with it for a long time. because like, it's just a mental thing. You know, it's just completely, I mean, nobody jumps in the pool with their hands and feet tied behind their back, you know, and I would go and I would, you know, I wouldn't make the time or whatever. And I, one time I, my instructor pulled me out and he was like, Hey, like I'm tying these lines where you can, like, there's no choice, you know? And he, you know, he did that. And I was like, all right, whatever. And just, bloop, right. Just push me. Like he didn't give me a, an opportunity to catch my breath or jump in, push me in. Boom. I went down. I did like a couple of bobs and came back up, you know, halfway and couldn't make it to the top. Like I was, you know, seven feet or so below and I was, I, you know, I knew I couldn't make it. Like there was no way, like I had no air left. Like I had nothing. And then all you see is just bloop. Then he pulled me out of the pool and woke up on the side of the pool. They give you CPR. Do what? Yeah. Well, they, they there's some, there's some, you know, there's some different, but yeah, they normally tell you on, on the side and you cough up the water and everything like that. But yeah. Dang. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, that's. Did you ever have to use water training at all in your? <laughs> well, obviously in Afghanistan, I mean, not really. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? yeah. I mean, I'm gonna be honest. I mean, everybody, you know, you go to dive school stuff, and it's one of the, you know, the neat things, you know. But like Afghanistan, no. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> well, I, I mean, there, maybe there's some river or something where it's just like, okay, this paid off. But <laughs> well. Yeah, nothing as far as like dive gear. I mean, we did have to cross a lot of like waterways and and you know kind of rivers and stuff like that. Like there was some level of water, but it was nothing. Like, right, you know, there's right. no diving. There was no, there's no none of that. So you know, fortunately, so. Dang. Um, was there ever a moment where you felt like you weren't as prepared as you, or like? maybe even just not necessarily you personally but like maybe your platoon or whatever like you were not equally matched but just like way more power in the opposition than normal um there honestly no like, like they put y'all to the test well now that obviously yes 100% uh, um you know Afghanistan Right, and the Taliban, right, they've been fighting forever. Yeah. Right. I mean, there was people we met and stuff, older older <laughs> men and stuff, you know, they had you know, they had been fighting for gen- like the all the only thing that country knows is fighting, right, and war. And that's the only thing they've ever known. Yeah. Um and they are and do and don't, you know, and and don't think anything other than those guys are very good at what they do. Yeah. The Taliban are very smart. 
they are they are very knowledgeable and they are very experienced you know they are never they will never you know they aren't to our level right but for what they have they are incredibly capable and um and you see it i mean you see it all you know all like if they weren't there wouldn't be an issue right you know we wouldn't be there we wouldn't be having these you know they wouldn't be as successful in some of the, you know, the, the service members that we've lost, you know, if they weren't, you know, as good as they are and they are incredibly good. So we didn't understand that until we got there on my first deployment because everybody, you know, that was all of our first trip, but we quickly realized that they, they're, they're very, they're very good at what they do. Um, but luckily we were just better, you know? Um, we were just com- we were completely better. I, I know after our first deployment, we were so successful in, in our first deployment that, um, for a couple of reasons, one was we didn't lose a single um, member of our unit the whole deployment, um, and uh, during our deployment we had over like three hundred plus like enemy KIA or so, and then at the end of our deployment. Um, uh, General Mattis, which was our formal secretary, Mad Dog Mattis, Mad Dog, Mad Dog was our general there, was my general there um, on our first deployment. And he had, he had said that we were the most, um, um, were the most deadly battalion in Afghanistan during that time. Wow. And 2010 was the height of the Afghanistan war. I mean, that's when everybody, I mean, we, I forget the number, but it was an incredible amount of number of servicemen and women that were over there at that time i mean it was just it was massive and like i said fortunately i had just gotten with some great great men and you know it's just some of its luck some of its good fortune but man they were they were just a good group of guys and a good unit and so like i said luckily for us for me personally we were just better than them yeah you know during that time and and unfortunately it's not it's not always the case but right for me, it was. Yeah. You know. Was there anything that Ross said that sounded similar to stuff you'd experienced? Um, a little bit, you know. I mean, it's interesting, like, the different jobs, you know, in the military and stuff that, you know, operate in different ways. You know, me and Ross had a very um, – we had a very different job. You right. know, both very um, necessary and, you know, and what he did, man, we lo- like we had some of those guys attached to us and absolutely loved them. I mean, they were just they were such an important aspect of of what we did over there, you know, like because before we had those guys like we were the way we'd find IDs is we would push our hands through the ground if we were crossing the road and we would just skim like this until we found you know, an explosive device or wires or something like, like that was our, that was our <laughs> way of wow. doing it. You know, we'd send the, you know, the most junior guy would have, yep. Hey, just clear that street. Right. Because they were so smart in, in the way they did those. That was really the only way that you could really find them. You know, metal detectors weren't, wouldn't work. You know, there's just a lot of things that we used that, that wouldn't. So that was, you know that was our way of doing it you know we didn't have the experience of you know of of that and 
so those guys, you know, what Ross did, and they're like, man, they're they're so good at what they do in those regards, you know. But so were we, you know. Um, but we just operated completely different, you know, in, in the ways we operate. You know, recon, we were able, we were going, we did everything from, you know, we'd go out in missions at night, you know, you'd leave at night, do a hard hit on a house, you know, get drugs, weapons, whatever, people, bring them back, and we were eating breakfast, you know, on base in the morning, you know, kind of thing. To, so you were going after, like, a specific target most of the time? Some of the times. That was, you know, my second deployment, we did a lot of that, you know, a lot of high-value target stuff. Uh, you know, my first deployment, we did a lot of um, a lot of house-to-house stuff where we'd get dropped up, you know, up and singing, and we'd, you know, they'd be like, hey, we'll see you guys and see you guys in a month or – you know, what have you, and, and they drop us off, and we'd move house to house every night and collecting reconnaissance and information and kind of doing a lot of things and interacting with the local populations and just kind of doing everything that, you know, was was, was asked of us at the time. So, you know, we got to operate pretty autonomously up there and kind of had quite a bit of freedoms and kind of stuff like that. And so... You know, our operations were much different than yeah. what Ross was doing. Um, so if, to like, an extent. If, if Bin Laden is like 100 and then just a Taliban foot soldier is a one, what's like the highest, what number were you either shooting at or going after? Like as a sniper or like going to go grab? Yeah, it's hard to tell. Um, a lot of our information that we got, right, everywhere we'd go, they'd be like, hey, you know, this number one guy is here, this number two guy's here, you know, there was, you were always looking for the head guys, right? It's the same thing as they do, you know, cartels or any of these other kind of organizations and stuff across, you know, the world that, you know, you go you, to find what you need, right? You go for the head shit, right? Mm-hmm. And then it just kind of trickles down or, you know, the middle of the road guys to kind of squeal and, you know, top or like, however your tactic is to, you know, infiltrate an organization or eliminate, you know, a threat you do. So there was a lot of that for us to where it was like, Hey, where you're going, there's these guys here. Finding them was whole other story. Yeah. Whole another story. I mean, you end up going somewhere and they hear the helicopters that, you know, come in at night and boom, they're, they're gone across the border. Right. Kind of thing. Like, Like I said, they're, they're, they're incredibly smart, you know, absolutely incredibly smart and good at what they do and so what movie do you feel like most kind of pictures some of the experiences you had or one of or the whole story Mm, yeah um that's a tough question like what what movie do you find yourself have you found yourself relating to the most um you know I, i would say just on like a maybe kind of a, a a very similar kind of aspect oh i would probably say lone survivor ish yeah. um just because it related a lot to what we did you know kind of you know up in the mountains you know how they you know it shows them how they're you know up there and information kind of things like that you know up in hide sites kind of operating like that was was a lot of what we did um i would say to an extent um so i would have to maybe lean towards that one when Um, did that happen 
That's was that around question. your time? I I, I, I honestly can't. I honestly don't even remember when that happened, yeah. to be honest. Um, yeah, I don't know. Have, have you seen look. a movie that was just like completely missed the mark? Ooh. As far as like the reality of it yeah. or like just tactical? Either like, one. Yeah. Um. I only say this because, like, I listened to the when you said Tropic Thunder. Like, <laughs> I was literally, when I listened to that podcast, I was like, and you asked that question, I was like, Tropic Thunder. And then when I said Tropic Thunder, I was like, yes. Like, I, I was like, I knew it. I was like, same page. Um, I mean, obviously, that's kind of a spin comedy spinoff kind of thing, whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But, I mean, for the most part, most military movies now do a decent enough job yeah. of, of they're never going to get it right because you know hollywood is hollywood you know what i mean and it, it's, it's it, and it is what it is and yeah. most guys don't or at least i know for me personally i don't i don't watch a military movie to try and like right 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 one nitpick it or two be like man i wonder what it's like or something like you right, know right, right. i watch it to kind of because I like supporting the veteran community, yeah. uh, you know, kind of thing. So I watch it for a different reason. What do you think that? of thir- the movie Thirteen Hours and the way that? Yeah, no, that that I thought that was I, I really, I really enjoyed that movie. You know, yeah. I, I think it does a good job of of, you know, trying to, you know, one of the cool things I thought about it, and one of the things I think that gets missed a lot is our relationship <laughs> with, you know afghan people iraq people you know are you know such direct you know relationship with those people that have allowed us to be successful throughout you know all these years you know and and i think that movie did a did a you know a good job of of kind of navigating those you know those relationships whether good bad ugly indifferent you know kind of thing like that and and I thought, you know, and I like when they have, I like when it's like that, you know, yeah. I don't necessarily like the, when you, you know, the movies or whatever that go in and they're just like, you know, it's just me against you, you right. know, kind of thing. Cause it's, it's not mm-hmm. like it's right. never, it never has so been. more complicated than that. It's so much more complicated. Was so it a, was it a, how big of a deal was it just for all of the U S military when they got Osama bin Laden. Um, it was big, but I don't think it was as big as the media portrayed it. Yeah, you know, just because. I mean, just like anything. I mean, you cut a head off a snake, right? I mean, that just leaves. That just doesn't kill back. the beast. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, that just. If you've you know guys that have been in war and situations like that all their you know for an extended period of time they understand that those power vacuums just create themselves when Mm -hmm. you do stuff like that you know yes it was great i think it was it was great for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons you know like a lot of people that you know were super affected by 9-11 i say that everybody was affected but like personally right like no they had some you know lost somebody or were there something like that that really connected with that you know and had never served or been in military you know i think that was super like yeah. amazing you know for for in that aspect you know the military as a whole we just knew that like hey like that ain't stopped you know right it's right. like it's awesome nothing's know, over but no it's not over you know yeah. the, the fight's not over so right 
But it's always good. I mean, it's definitely not a bad thing. I mean, a win's a win. Yeah. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. So it was cool. What do you think? What do you think? I, I was in like fifth grade or something like that when we got Bin Laden. Yeah. What was that, like 2010, 2011? I don't know. Well, it was Somewhere when Ob- Obama was yeah still in office uh, yeah they've sure they've since made a movie still. about it and yeah. that came out like six years ago so yeah. like it was like 2012 2013 wasn't it might have been yeah but anyway i uh man i wanted to go to the marines so bad in high school but i just i also wanted to rodeo and at the time i couldn't imagine taking four years away from rodeo and i don't know college was kind of but I couldn't imagine not rodeoing or not being on a horse for that long. And ultimately that's what kept me from doing it. You know, like I just, I just, but I was like, whether it was true or not, I don't know. But me and a buddy, like we were jogging three miles every day. Like we were trying to, like we thought there was a certain time limit you had to jog, you know, your three miles under. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, like I said, I don't remember if that was true or not, but essentially like we were going four miles every day together. And, uh, he ended up trying, but he failed the hearing test or something. Yeah. and couldn't go, uh, and so I didn't. And then yeah, he couldn't get a waiver or anything. They're like, nah, nothing. Yeah. Can't, yeah. You can't go. Oh, Man, he, he wanted tried. to so bad. He tried like six times. Yeah, so bad. He would have been a really good. I feel like they missed an opportunity there. Yeah, not letting Mills get in. But anyway, so yeah, it just didn't happen for me. But like I've I've, I've always just had kind of a a romance towards, you know, military and what they do and what they have to do. But then my second and third thought is just wondering how I would have handled it or if I'd have been able to. Correct. It's a big marketing thing now because I was like you. Like when I – like I honestly, I just – like my grandfather served in the Army, you know, and so like I – like I knew of the Army, but I didn't really know. But the only reason – it's funny. Like I look back, the only reason I really went to the Marines was because like one, like – their uniforms were the best looking like you know they're our dress blues like like that's the best uniform on earth in my opinion um but two i just like i went to recruiting office there was like four doors yeah the recruiter and i was just like i walked in and like i said i saw pictures and like the guy looked good and i was like shoot like we'll just stay like i didn't even yeah. Visit. You right, know, right, I didn't right. Go yeah. to the army recruiter, or the navy recruiter, or the coast guard. Yeah. I didn't need because I didn't know too. anything. Yeah. Like, I didn't and, like. Was, I didn't know what Navy SEAL was. I didn't know what Delta or right. Rangers. Like, I didn't know yeah. any, any of that was. Like it was a lot of just luck for and me. And at that time, looking back, like the brand, like now, right? You know, the the a lot of branding might be coming from the the SEALs, and like that's a hype now. Mm. But at that time, uh, Marines were hyped. Yeah. And the recruiters. I remember there was like, you know, some of the recruiters from other branches had come to the, um, had come to the school and a couple of them were just, they were kind of dicks, you know, and just the way they talk. But then this Marine recruiter, he was just cool, you know, and, um, which I'm sure that was his, his plan or, you know, that was his play. Yeah. Sure. You know, yeah. might've been no, his those play. Recruiters, to, man, those to, recruiters <laughs> are tough. Like, yeah. I remember, I think it was the Army recruiter at the time I met, and he just, I was like, man, if this is your play, it's the wrong one because it ain't working on me. And then the Marine guy kind of smoothed me over. But So that was that was a huge Gross. reason why I think I was probably sold on the Marines at the time. But 
Anyway, I, I thought at the time just being a Marine was essentially like a special forces type thing. Mm. Like just being a bottom of the just rung Marine. Basic Marine. Yeah, yeah. I was just, and that was kind of the brand, the idea I had in my mind. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. I, I, yeah, I was similar to that too. I think like, cause I remember when I graduated boot camp, I came home and I wore my uniform to school. Like, I, you know, it's a high yeah. school, you know, walk around and, you know, and, meet the te- you know see all them old teachers and friends and stuff and the, I just thought I was like Rambo you know what I mean like <laughs> I look good like you know my posture was upright you know I was clean shaven I was fit you know I I thought I you know I thought I was something right you know yeah. and so I I I hundred percent like agree with that and then you quickly realize that you're nothing you know kind of thing. or at least for me I did so I remember the guys my senior year. Yeah, and the guys that had gone that summer and got back when school started, they came in there. I remember yeah. that. Oh yeah, yeah. Whenever you you said it earlier, cool guys though. When we were Great talking, guys, you said uh, that you don't have a good memory. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder, like, what's like the one or two things, even without having a good memory, that you absolutely remember where you thought this might be it for me. Yeah, well, so I do remember those moments for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that there, there was a few moments there that um, that I, I don't know. I, I'll probably never, you know, understand how you made it. Well, not. I mean, or you'll never forget. Yeah, I'll never yeah. forget. But and it, it's interesting, like when you know, I know some people talk about you know, like when, like even just in everyday life right like say you're you know you're going to a traffic stop right and you forget to stop and somebody like almost t-bones you know and they use that phrase you know like your life flashes before your eyes right and you you like get those moments where you're like that that could have been it like was that it or like did i just escape that for what reason you know kind of thing and and yeah, hundred percent. There's those uh, there's those moments where you know I because my first deployment I was very we were very like I didn't even think twice about anything. You know I was you know I was fearless. I was like we were we were young. I was twenty like and I was like man this like nothing can kill me, nothing can hurt me. Like I was invincible. Yeah. You know, and it's your first deployment too, and you're like man I still have many years you know in the military and stuff like that. And so I mean you're just I mean I was just like I never, it didn't really ever cross my mind. Like there was moments where I was like, whoops, you know, like <laughs> that hundred percent could have been it, but like, it just like Damn. compartmentalize it. Boom. Keep moving forward. Yeah. My second deployment was a little bit different, you know, yeah. cause I was a little bit older. I had known that like I was, could have been on the verge of getting out. Life could have, you know, had a lot of life left ahead of me. I was more mature. And so it was a little different because I was a little bit, you know, you I approached my deployment a little bit different, you know. Um, and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but it was definitely like one of those things where I was like, yeah, you know, if I, if I try and control situations a little better, not take the risk that I probably should or whatever, like, will this work out in my favor, you know, kind of thing. And I'll survive and go on about my life, you know. Um, but, um, yeah, there's a few moments. I mean, you can recall moments about, you know, 
accidentally stepping on, you know, on stepping on um, IEDs, right, which are the improvised explosive devices that they put in the ground and it not going off, right? Dang. Um, you know, or you walk because my first deployment was a tough one because I was um, I was what we call a point man, which is the navigation guy, which is the guy that leads every movement of your platoon or whatever however many people you have with you so i was the first guy to always lead a movement me and another me and another buddy of mine um we shared that task and so i was always the first one everywhere so i was the first one you, you know i was doing everything first crossing a road first walking down a path first you know you know sweeping for ieds first like I did everything going into a house first. Like I did everything first because it was my job to know exactly where we were going, you know, how we got there, you know, all that kind of stuff. That all fell on me. So, you know, I was always like, you know, you you encounter situations like that where you just, you know that, and it's a twofold thing because you know that like if if, if you were to step on an IED or not, that that that's your life right that's your leg if you didn't and you missed that and somebody behind you did right that's also falls on me you know kind of thing so um it's heavy there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with with kind of stuff like that you know but yeah there was a there, there was quite a few moments you know did you ever like find that. yourself like just the loyalty side of things like did you ever find yourself having to like save one of your buddies what do you like so like got injured just, or well uh, i'm just thinking like of a scenario just because like obviously the camaraderie is a pretty important scenario and like loyalty and knowing somebody that has your back is 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 going to be important when you go into battle with either six guys or 18 or however many but like you have to put yourself in harm's way so that that person doesn't die like right now yeah yeah i think um it's one of those things i think that when you're put in situations like that and you're surrounded by good men that everybody is willing to sacrifice for somebody else yeah you know um and it's a super unique relationship in that way you know not it, it, you know, it's not everybody for themselves. Like if I take care of myself, then I can take care of somebody else kind of thing. You know, everybody's willing to sacrifice for the other. And that's really what you'll hear a lot of guys talk about. You know, I know, especially recently, you know, because with the whole Afghanistan withdrawal and everything like that, you know, a lot of guys just talk about how it was, it transitions into being there for one another right and bringing each one you know everybody home and your responsibility to one another so yes there is a there's a heavy emphasis on everybody kind of almost you say neglect like disregards a bit of their own personal you know safety for everybody else mm -hmm. and yeah i know i personally had that a lot you know it was like you know it's my responsibility for my jobs to ensure that you know everybody else was safe you know and that was one of the the huge um 
you know, accomplishments I felt, you know, like I mentioned, like we didn't lose, we had, you know, we had a lot of injuries and stuff like that, but as far as, you know, um, no deaths in my unit, you know, and that was one of the big accomplishments that I took away was just the fact that like I was successful, you know, I was, Mm -hmm. I played a part in that, you know, kind of thing. Did you ever see, I'm sure you've seen that video. Um, the, the guy that won the two medals of honor, the, the only medal of honor that's caught on video. It's like a, it's like a camera from like, oh, you, it's like a heat. Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. I have seen that a few. Yes. It, it pops up every year on the, on the I memorial. Of the, I, and I can't remember I'm like so the, bad at that. but, um, but yes, cause they're on the mountain. They're on the mountain. Correct. Yeah, and he yeah. saved, but yes, uh, he ended up saving to. like two yes. dozen people or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Just an unreal. Yeah. Heroic thing. And, you know, and it's, it's, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's, it's awful that I can't like remember a lot of those things or pinpoint right. a lot of those things like that. But, you know, I think those situations are, are just, they're such a remarkable thing, you know what I mean? And, and I know a lot of people, you know, use the word hero and, and kind of stuff like that about certain people. And, and it's true, you know, like I would never say anything other than that, but you know, it kind of continues to go back to the fact that like, man, when you put extraordinary people in like some really hard, extraordinary times, like, and if they rise to that occasion, I mean, it is, there's nothing better than that, you know? And, you know, I, I, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing what, you know, people because like you know a lot of people sit back and they look at it and they're like i don't know if i could do that or like i don't know how they did that or whatever and i always tell people it's like man like if you're put in those situations and you know, whether it be your family or friends yeah. or stuff like, like you'd be surprised at what comes out of you yeah. you know and so you feel like the ability to do something like that <clears throat> is in more people than what the what even the person that it's in believes yeah absolutely and you know i i think it's in a in a lot of people yeah. you know and, and that's yeah. refreshing just because like yeah. that to me like that scenario and i'm sure it's when you hear the details of the story so it's like do y'all know what we're talking about no sir yeah kind of there's like yeah, there's a there's when you see it like i've got it somewhere i yeah. send it to pretty much every male in my Instagram DMs, but like the video pops up periodically, but like this guy, like essentially they're on this mountaintop and, um, it's a few of them and they, uh, like he gets shot and he's like unconscious. Mm -hmm. And so like, but, but everybody in his platoon, like had to like retreat, but then he like becomes more, he he wakes up Mm -hmm. and you may know the story better. To an extent, like, to it maybe a, a little bit, but yeah, it was along those lines. Like he had got shot, he had got injured, and you could see him, you know, on a thermal camera. Mm-hmm. They suspect he went like, you know, in a tree bush, something like that, right? Well, um, he, I'm not gosh, like a, a helicopter uh, crashes, and you can see that, like, mm-hmm. but there's like these enemy, like in like a bunker. There's mm-hmm. two bunkers. Yeah, there's two bunkers. There's two bunkers on the hill. And so because he had been unconscious in this one spot, like they're under fire behind this helicopter mm-hmm. and he's in this position where he can like rush these two bunkers, yeah. even though he's been shot a couple times. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
people were there and so i think that's how they know the story it's hard to really tell like there's a narrator telling you because Mm -hmm. it's just like a drone footage Mm -hmm. like heat drone footage where Mm -hmm. you can see and like he ends up going and like overtaking this bunker where he gets shot like an eighth and a ninth time and then he does this other bunker where he gets shot he ends up getting shot like 16 times yeah it's 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 and it's like he knows everybody knows like he's not coming back you know alive you know Mm -hmm. like he's he's gonna die and he just every i've watched the video like a dozen times it's just been a while yeah i i I mean there's so many of them i I watched even those the those netflix old docuseries i think it's medal of honor i don't know if you've seen those but netflix has a deal where it it highlights it kind of shows a story like a handful of like medal of honor recipients man and it's just but it's essentially like what's so intriguing to me is just like he's in a spot he absolutely knows there's no coming back here in about Mm -hmm. two hours i'm going to meet my maker period end of story there's no question like it's not like i might make it out of this no so he's got that much maybe if that much time Mm -hmm. to like do something and uh you know it's like these group of and so he just like moves forward and goes into or a scenario where it's like I could not do this thing and mm-hmm. survive, yeah. you know, yeah. like, and, and so like yeah. you, and, and somebody's faced with the decision, like, okay, I go here and it is absolutely intimate death is, you know, today, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, Thursday, like I'm going to die today mm-hmm. if I go do this thing and help this person or, uh, or I cannot That's and I'll it. be all right, yeah. you yeah. know, and that to me, like, that is the most intriguing, yeah. like, decision scenario in it just blows my mind the thought of like somebody being in that scenario and like i would like to think that i would do the same thing he did i would hope i would hope i would it sounds like from your story this guy didn't second guess himself like he just reacted and his reaction was i'm going to choose these people over my own life right and i and i think the a, a lot of it too really is it's not a it's not even a thought to be honest like it's a it's a it's just your conscience like yeah. it's just a it's just a it's a gut feeling it's a reaction more than it is anything you know what i mean like nobody like in every experience i've been in you know or had to deal with it, it was never like i sat there and said time out like should i do this right should i go help these people or, or say this or you know shoot or not like it, it was never like a at least from 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 my opinion like it's always just it's just instinct you know like how much of that is from like because you've been fighting with these guys day in and day out for however long and or training or is it both it's a little bit both but i I would say heavy on the training really Really? um yeah i think what that's what makes me nervous why about because like i feel like as a civilian Mm -hmm. If right. there's ever a scenario where it's just like my intuition and instinct uh-huh. is like go away from this thing, like I would hope and pray that like even not having had any training that I would be able to, there would be something pushing me towards helping my fellow man. And uh, it, there is obviously. Yeah. Look at but, well, well, some after, of the stuff you've done on videos. Like, 
the crap when the crap hits the fan, you're the first one in there. But see, but some of that I think is because of training. No, I'm not comparing that to right. war. I know you're not. But, but, but like, yeah, 100%. But, but it's I, either in you or it's not. Yeah. And it's it's very apparent that most everybody here has that in them. Yeah. I mean, the the, the bull hang up. Yeah. Yeah. When you well, got... I, hopefully yes. that's a hopefully that's like a similar instinctive like knee jerk reaction. I it feel is. like I've had a level of training in a in a rodeo arena Correct. where like my mindset, yeah, may, maybe just you know not that if there were a life and death situation in a store in the public whatever that I obviously would not have the talents and capabilities that someone like yourself would. But maybe there is a little bit of carryover where at least my knee jerk reaction would be to step towards it mm-hmm. that's yeah. what i that's all i want right. like right. lord just give me the courage to step towards it and that be my instinctive reaction rather than you know self you know safety yeah yeah well and I, and I would say one of the biggest lessons that i learned in my in my time in the military and and, and throughout all my experience was was something i shared with um my old high school football coach and 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 it was such a thing and it was something that he had never really ever thought about because in my opinion on the civilian side of 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 things of the world you don't really think about it and that's the fact that in the military our training is 10 times harder than the actual event Dang. Right. So we train everything to fail. Right. We train everything we do is to fail. Right. Whether it be like we're conducting, you know, we're training and, you know, instructors go, oh, this man's dead. This man's dead. This man has a casualty. Right. And then you're, you know, it's all simulated. But yeah. it's so much harder. You know, you're, you know, you're shooting farther. You're running farther. You're carrying more weight. You're everything is so much harder. So that way, when you get to the actual right operation, the mission, you're you're confident in what you're doing to to accomplish whatever that is. I think outside of the military, it's it's hard to make people, or it's hard to correlate that with certain things. Like for instance, right? Like if you are training, if you are training for say to run 10 miles most people would say all right i'm going to run one mile then three miles then four miles five miles kind of thing to kind of work up just to the point to where when that 10 miler comes around i can accomplish it like i'm not gonna you know i'm not gonna fail at it but the military takes approach it like no you're gonna run 20 miles you're going to run 15 miles. You're going to run tw- you're going to you're going to make training so much harder so that way when you get to that 10 mile right it's test, crazy. it's mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. Right? And that's something that that's that's you know that that a lot I see a lot of people miss here. You know, it's even you know and it's it's hard because even like like I was saying, like I was watching, you know, like I was watching can I, watching your show, yeah, that Netflix yeah. show, right? And, yeah, we can talk about it. Okay, good. And I was watching right the episode of Donnie's and you, your ladder system, yeah. right? Starting off really small, basic, and kind of working up to where he works up to, you know, a rodeo, a, a horse. rodeo horse, right? And you're like, okay, well, so his benchmark now is that rodeo horse. So he's just gonna go 
rodeo horse, rodeo horse kind of thing, you know? And I'm not saying by no means, I mean, I don't know anything about rodeo. Like, I'm not saying throw them out on, you yeah, know, yeah, the yeah. hardest thing out there in the pen. But, you know, we would, you know, in the military, we would somehow find a way, right, to make that, you know, so much harder, right? Whether that be, you know, you're not riding for eight seconds, you're riding for 16 seconds, right? Or just, you know, yeah, things, yeah, yeah. things of the nature that make it to where you're training is exponentially harder so that way when the time when push comes to shove right for yeah you know a lot of these medal of honor you know recipients and situations that you hear it's nothing right like it's like you resort back to like man like i've been through training where you know we've had you know 10 guys taking a house and five of them die on training and you have to still accomplish your mission extract right. those guys you know kind of thing if that makes sense so yeah I think the I think the only difference in the analogy would be and there's some give and take. I think you're there's I could be doing this wrong, but I think for instance you started off when you said simulation. Mhm. And so there's just no way to simulate it. Yeah. You're either doing it or you're not. Right. And so like and without knowing the fundamentals like you you just can't start like I just I you can't run an NFR horse in there no no without no, knowing for any sure. so like I think in essence you know for instance you in the pool with your hands tied when you drown mm -hmm. you know like you got somebody there to to uh -huh. to save you like that would be I think a version of like this lower tier horse now yeah. after he finishes this level of training and he's been on so many different horses and he like graduates from like a boot camp side of thing. Like there comes a point where like, and I think what really made me think of what you just said was like JB. Cause yeah. JB will put, he'll put some people yeah. on some bulls. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. And it's one of those things where like a lot of people, you know, outside of the military, right. Train to succeed. Yes. Right? They train to, all right, you know, whatever it's, you know, weightlifting, right? You're going to train until you hit this benchmark and then you got it, right? Checking the box, right? Like in the military, a lot of the time, like what we do is we train to fail, you know, and I know yeah. I mentioned that, you know, and it's just because you get comfortable with the fact that it doesn't beat you down. Like there is, there's a level of, of yeah, understanding. The confidence. Of, correct. Like it doesn't beat you down to like, all right, I'll never succeed in life. Right. You know, like this sucks. Like, you know, there's, but you understand when you, when you fail so often and it's not necessarily a fail. It's just not like, it's just succeeding at, you know, being handicapped in whatever training you're doing, yeah. right? You there's know? still a level of success. There is a le there's always a level of success somewhere, you know, and so that like whole aspect of it really, I think allows, and especially about military guys, you know, we keep going back to, you know, the guy, you know, that middle honor of honor guy on the hill is like those that allows people to go into that whole nother world of of being able to do you know extraordinary stuff like that so that that would be like just kind of listening to you like that's one of those moments where it's just like all right you know it's a little more rare 
when you look at like your journey with the military through your two deployments, like that story is one of those rarities where it's like, it was not necessarily a failure in the sense that like, but like as far as like him dying and like, like it, it was an extreme example of like, he had to use every ounce of that training. Mm-hmm. That'd be what that was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're always, you know, I mean, you're, you're definitely, you definitely want to be using every ounce of your training, no matter what you're doing. You know, yeah. if you're leaving stuff out on the table, you're doing a disservice to yourself. Yeah. You know, you never, you know, you, you never want to do that, you know, and I think being able to tap into all those different levels, you know, of the human capabilities, you know, I mean, cause they're endless. I mean, they're, they're absolutely endless and it's, it's, that's what, I mean, that's what just separate, you know, I think that's what, what's really, really special about moments like that. And We're, stuff like that, that I think you're, you're just, even without the training, a guy like that, like he was born with, with that mentality. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're like, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I definitely think that, like, you know, we're all we're all born for a reason, you know, and we all have our own destinies, and we all have our own things in life that we endure. And I definitely think, you know, there is hundred percent a part. I mean, because you could go back to like, he wouldn't be in that position if he wasn't supposed to be there in the first place, right? Like, there's a reason for everything, yeah, you know, and and, and so you know it, it's it's special to see stuff like that but yeah no i think you're absolutely right i think every everybody has whatever it is people have stuff there inside them it's just not everybody was there anybody that, into that you know, was there ever somebody that like surprised you that like like well i didn't think you had that it thing and you just showed me that you did yeah i mean I'm like surprised. someone like if you had to for instance i've pulled up to a rodeo and I like feel sorry for a guy like the way his equipment or whatever it's like man this guy he might get hurt tonight yeah and then he won the bull ride mm-hmm. yeah like, 89 points right, right. <laughs> I learned to never judge someone judge the book by its cover kind of thing uh, yeah. occasionally there's a level <laughs> where it's like okay you absolutely can get hurt but like yeah. was there ever yeah. like a moment where you like kind of were halfway surprised at someone's ability based on their um you know I I yeah, I mean the short answer is yes, obviously. I mean, um I was always surprised by the way, you know, people, you know, in my military experience like guys rose to occasions, right? Like, you know, I know we hit it on the early on was that like everybody's so much different, you know, yeah. like you know, I thought you know, you know, the whole, you know, fire breathing, dragon, you know, eating kind of humans, right? That you're like, oh, yeah, da 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 da. Like, there's just some really, really good, um, like, compassionate, smart dudes, you know, that I had the opportunity to serve with and, and that I was just so blown away by everybody's ability to be different, but yet contribute all in the same sense, um, you know, and, and so. Um, yeah, there are some, you know, there are some moments where, where I know I've been in pickles and like, they've just, you know, they've all sacrificed for me, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's remarkable. What do what kind of pickle? What do you mean? Like in a situ- like in situations where you're in firefights or something like that, you know, and you're pinned down and, and you need help. Gotcha. Right. And like other guys just, just come, you know, disregard, you know, their own 
you know, their safety or whatever to help you, um, you know, doing anything and everything possible, um, you know, and, and so, you know, it, it, you know, those type of moments really. I got two more questions. Um, have you ever been around someone or been involved with something where someone won a medal of honor? Uh, no, no, not, not the medal of honor. I mean, we, we, fortunately we were, um, you know, my unit earned, excuse me earned the medal of honor yeah um where they i mean we had a lot of awards you know um and a lot of people for for good you know good reasons um so you know i was around i was say you know i was around a lot of heroic men you know without a doubt but no nothing nobody personally medal of honor yeah my my one of my last questions i just i've felt like not being a comfort you know i'm not a confrontational dude like i don't i have no desire to fight someone mm. you know like love to I, argue uh, though when love i disagree <laughs> when i disagree <laughs> when i disagree with someone I'll or bark. <laughs> or have like somewhat of a you know quote unquote enemy like i just violence is not like something i i want with that person but and so like i've just never felt any sort of like need to know how to mm. fight in any way and then one time, like I talked about on podcasts, several podcasts back, but like I was just in a little situation where I'm with someone who had a huge disagreement with some people and I'm not going to leave this person hanging, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. And I'm looking around and like, I know one of them had previously gotten out of the hospital. The other one is about a foot shorter than I am, but also capable we're outnumbered redneck gristle neck like individuals like we're about to get our asses whooped mm-hmm. but i'm like i'm gonna do it mm-hmm. these two will not be alone mm-hmm. right now you know yeah. and i had time to process it so like <laughs> it wasn't a knee-jerk thing that that i had to come up with looking back i did knee-jerk to their side but like and then that in that moment like and and obviously you know nothing came of it but like we're, we're able to talk ourselves out of it, but like we're about to fight, mm. you know, and, and, uh, how it was going to end was uncertain because of just how much emotions and where we were, like nobody was going to stop it unless someone was either unconscious or worse. Anyways, whatever the point is, is I'm like, after that, I thought, do I have some sort of responsibility to like, up my personal training to a level where I like Sometimes I guess I like having been in life and death situations, <laughs> having been around trained people, do you see like just the everyday civilian, should they have like a certain level of or is it okay to just I don't I don't know. Oof. I this, mean this came out of nowhere. Yeah, no, question. I'm with you hundred percent. I mean, me personally, my opinion is yes. Right. My opinion is yeah, I got to start training. I mean, That's what I'm <laughs> I mean, my opinion, I mean, and I'm not saying it's the right opinion, you know, or the only opinion, obviously, but the way I approach life, right, is I train every aspect of everything I can to make me um confident or equipped to handle any situation in life. And in that respect, are you strapped right now? 
Do what? No. Okay. Well, <laughs> <I'm just> <laughs> yes. You know, but Y'all that's aren't. you know. Yep. What? I'm security. I did know a guy. He's like, <laughs> I'm carrying three. <laughs> like I, I know a guy. He's like, I'm carrying three. You might find the first one. You might find the second one, but you ain't finding the third one. Is what he said. <laughs> what? <laughs> Interesting. Anyway. Yeah, but yeah. So I mean, that's that's how I approach it. You yeah. know, I'm not saying that. You know, I, I, I because me, I never want to be in a situation in life, whether it be life or death, or whatever it can be, and I am ill-equipped to do, or I, I'm not capable of performing whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I always tell people that, you know, I, you know, right. You know, whether it be fitness, shooting guns, you know, eating like whatever in the world is your kind of thing. Like I always just tell people like, I would like, I will never be the one person that won't be capable of doing something. Yeah. You know, if so, if, if someone's more prepared than you, it won't be cut be because of your lack of effort. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, or if if something were to happen where you didn't win, mm-hmm. it's not because. Yeah, I would just know, like in in my head, I would just know that that person was better than me on that day. Yeah. Right. And it, it's, and so, but I can live with myself, if I was to live with myself, you know, to, to know that I did everything humanly possible on my own terms, to be able to confront whatever that is in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's hard. I mean, it's hard. You can't, you know. I, you I, can't. As a young man, you know, like going into college and just like you, you go to the bar, you go wherever, and it's just like there's just this like chest puffed out kind of like, I don't want to say animosity, but like there wasn't like a lot of times where, like I'm not just going to go walk up to a guy. <laughs> And just talk to him, you know. Just like usually, there's just like a pride thing with guy. And then for some reason, I'm not sure why this experience did this for me, but we had a I had a buddy that um, actually, you know, he he committed suicide, and uh, I had it just shook me to the core. And for some reason, like the biggest impact it had on me, aside from just being really sad that I lost a friend, was that it just completely dissolved that side of my I guess just anyway, and I would it would I would almost welcome a challenge of someone that had that in them to to like I could when I I could see like what I used to have like just this like chest out puffed up you know guy like I would almost I would challenge it and go like talk to him and try to soften him up you know mm-hmm. like it would that would be my challenge you know it's just like all right I'm gonna go make a friend out of this person who I feel like used to be almost prideful it's almost like you walk into a room and you're just just like yeah i could whoop him i could whoop him i could whoop him he'd be trouble but i could whoop you know what i'm saying like (laughs) that was where i felt like and it was just like a guy thing super you know immature of me at the time and so since that day you know ever i mean like the day he passed it just like was gone and i just had it was not that i was some big bad dude anyway but it was what little that was gone yeah and um and i since then so that was like years it might have been 10 years and and then all of a sudden this thing happened the other day uh-huh where i'm just like hey you may not have a choice because if you're going to be loyal 
mm-hmm. especially to troublemakers like the one sitting next to me. Uh-huh. It's like, you uh-huh. might find your... Uh-huh. Oh, I meant Willie. Oh, yeah. Gabriel, watch out. I might find <laughs> myself in a situation <laughs> where I don't have a choice, you know? Yeah. And, or not, and, and that was a joke about Leroy, but like this right here is a target. Yeah. That's why I got good security. You know what I'm saying? I've yeah. got a tattoo now, too. <laughs> You're the only guy here without a tattoo. So, like, it may knock on my door one day, and I don't. <laughs> Not that yeah, he's tough. got a rodeo time tat. Oh. Yeah, so he's wow. he's sold out. Yeah, he is. Committed. Um, <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, I mean it, it, it's never a choice. You don't ever choose, right, yeah. when something ever is going to happen to you in life. Like, more times than not, you know, yeah. at, least in, at least in my perspective. Like, I don't know when that time is going to come. If if a time ever comes, I don't know, you know, I don't know. Lord willing, time. it doesn't. Yeah, but just even that, just like anything in life, you know, I don't know when, you know, it just seems like the choices are always after the fact that something happens or during that time, you know, it's never yeah. before, you know. Yeah. So just prepare for for anything and everything. Prepare, prepare for the worst and That's hope right. for the best. Hope for the best. Um, there's, there's a saying we have around here, rather – have it and not need it, then need to not have it. You can't say that's applicable to a skill sets. A thousand percent. I thought about that a while ago when yeah. I first asked this question. <laughs> Same thing with skill sets. Same thing. That's right. We always uh, had a deal with slices. It's like because, uh, prior proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Prior What's proper always? planning. Oh, that's sounds kind like of, some that good kind of goes along the same same lines. I like that. Um, you know what I mean. Our outro. Do you, uh, one of y'all want to go grab two more batteries? I brought so two we can, extra ones already here. I just don't know how to replace the batteries. We uh we do some life advice to at the end. Oh nice. And then we usually record the intro at the end of the podcast. Mm. But um life advice. So that would be so is that your life advice? Oh we each go uh, around the horn and we offer uh, life advice. Oh no, I don't I mean, that's part of it, I guess. You know, like I said, it just kind of it kind of double taps on what we've been, you know, we've been, you know, kind of hitting on here the past couple minutes. Um, but um, I don't know if it's my the life advice, you know, for me. Uh, you know, I, I think, uh, man, it's kind of hard. I have to think, really, the life, my soul life yeah. advice. No, you can think you know? on it. We can start with Willie. Yeah. Oh, but, man, I got to think, too. <laughs> I clearly, mean, clearly we're not. We're struggling in life here. <laughs> I did a, we're not ready for life. I did a rock and. Uh, you want to do the wide angle too, or does it matter? Okay, cool. Oh yeah, this one. Not. We can just yeah. we can we can finish it up with these two. But um, like tough Hedemans was take a chance. Columbus did. <laughs> uh, Leroy, you want to tell us your normal life advice? Which one? The one you are famous for. Oh, uh, wash your hands and say your prayers. Germs and Jesus are everywhere. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> what you got, Willie? Um, if life gives you lemons, eat them. Okay. They're good See, for just, your immune system. Yeah. Okay. Just just, <laughs> just, just take the experience and make the most out of it. All so right. Just eat them. Yep. Mm. What you yeah, got? you know, I, I guess I, I will stick with that. I will stick with my seven Ps. Prior proper performance prevents piss poor. Prior proper planning prevents piss poor performance. That's pretty good, and it's going to resonate with me because I'm gonna I'm gonna get ready. Plus.
play the Rocky music. on his shoulders. Got two sets of boxing gloves. Yeah, I saw a little. Hey, yeah, the boxing. That's a good one. Yeah. Have you seen those before? Yeah. I got it. I just like I mean mitts and gloves. What do you mean mitts and gloves? Like, so, oh, with somebody? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I'm by myself yeah. all the time. Yeah. You I don't know. All the time. He's going to start texting me like, hey, I need someone to, like, hit. <laughs> Dude, I would be down for that. But <laughs> Yeah. So have you ever been in any hand-to-hand altercations? Uh, No. I mean, we, we trained a lot for it. But, I yeah, mean, no, like life and death. Life and Not life oh, and death. Um, Maybe just a fight. No. You know, you really? know here, I'll, 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 you know, yeah, because, you know, I'll, I'll. I'll disclose this, right? Ever since I left the military, every physical altercation I've been involved with, um, I have de-escalated that situation to where I never have to go to that place. Dang. And it's simply because, like for me personally, right, like, in the military, like, and I know Ross, you know, talked about it a little bit, you know, when you like taking a life, right. Like is, is intense. Mm-hmm. Right. And and you have to go to a different place and it's not, you know, and, and when you're accustomed to life and death, right. Just knocking somebody out or, you know, pushing them or what have you in that situation, like, is hard to control to i think for people that 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 haven't been associated with life and death you, you can't know? just like halfway beat them yeah, up well yeah to an extent because like it, for one it would take a lot for for me to care to to really you know get into that level something like you said like two like yeah like me punching somebody or something doesn't do anything for me now there are certain circumstances like you said you know you know your buddies are you're you know you're defending somebody but i've taken it upon myself to never go into that place in my head in an altercation that could potentially throw me back into that world of life and death so all the stuff you've categorized away all the stuff that i compartmentalized compartmentalized away, away. Yeah. yeah so that's always been my that's that's always been my Luckily for me, my security guard's a little different. Right, Willie? <laughs> yes, like sir. Put them hands on people. <laughs> Willie puts hands on people. Willie puts the hands, huh? Yeah. No, that's no, how I, I would. I haven't I would, had to do it. I would love to avoid any and all. Like, it just doesn't. Yeah. But am I the last one to give advice? Yeah. Yep. Um, can I say don't play leapfrog with unicorns? No? No. What else? Um, it needs to be new. Something the viewers haven't heard. I need new life advice. Mm. Never be ashamed of who you are unless you don't ride bulls. Or unless you've been <laughs> in Marine Recon. <laughs> Marine Recon and bull riders. There no, you go. It's, but, hey, I will say this, and I think I come to the right spot. One of these days, I'm going to have to ride a bull. This is the spot. That's the spot. This yeah, is the spot to do it. That's the right there. So yeah. it's, always been, it's always been there. And it's on the record. It's on the record, so if I hit record, if Cheech can, <laughs> yeah, Cheech can ride a bull. I think if Cheech I can, can do it, if Cheech can nod his face, <laughs> then you can. Yeah, hundred percent. Hundred percent. Well, thanks for joining us, Stephen Pace. Um, we uh, pre- Stephen or Steve? Which one do you want to be called? Steve is fine. Steve, Steve Pace.
people reach out to him. Uh, I'm sure you'll see some clips of this on my Instagram. If you're a fellow podcaster and you want this man on your podcast, um, we're trying to work his way up to Joe Rogan. And so he's starting here. Got to mm. start at the bottom. There you go. <laughs> Got to start somewhere. Yeah, social yeah. media. Jocko's. I'm not on social media. Do you listen to Jocko's? A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. a little bit. Him, yeah, he's got some good him, stuff. Him, Joe, yeah. Jordan Peterson, they're all very different, three yeah. individuals, but yeah. like those are some, those are some good ones. I but you hit to. the good. I mean, that's a good. That's That'd a be good, a good well circuit. rounded, hundred <laughs> percent. That's a good. And that's a good. Well now Dale Brisby's getting thrown in the mix. Yeah, you'll throw Dale Brisby in there. <laughs> yeah, just, no big deal. Yeah, just toss him in there. Sweet. Now, thanks so. for joining us, and uh, thanks for listening to the the podcast. If you like it, and uh, you want to hear when the next one's coming out, text the word podcast to 940-353-0890. Don't forget to check out How to Be a Cowboy on Netflix. You bet. Mm -hmm. Pow, pow.